first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Uh, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Now that all that Realms Deep shit is over with, now we can do the real podcast. I have been fucking stoked ever since I first heard of you. I think I probably caught something on... Dread X's podcast, Real Professionals. They were just, I mean, Ted is apparently in love with you, which is great. I think that's fantastic. We had some fun chats. Yeah, that podcast was fun. Yeah. And I just, I was like, man, that's so cool. This guy's doing so many different things. Like you've made music for everything that I've ever liked, pretty much <laughs> in some way. Uh, like he worked with WWE at some point, if I understand correctly. I uh, did music licensing for a while. I did get a. Uh... I think like 28 placements. There was a song used in WWE. There was a song used in like UFC fight physics, uh, major league baseball, NBA, just a bunch of ramps up only a little minute, but then you go look at your cue sheet and then it's like, you're under ACDC and you're like, ah, cool. Like that, that's badass. I like to be on the same. I know everyone makes fun of them, but I like ACDC. They do their one thing. Good. You know, I I like it. They're they're one of the greatest rock bands of all time. I, I don't care what yeah. anybody says about you know all all their songs are the same. First of all, that's just not true. All their really popular songs, like on the radio, that's every band too, right? You know the deep cuts of every band is where I don't get that about the radio. I don't know if terrestrial radio is the same, but you should be rotating songs in and out. An album is eight songs. Why are you just playing that one hit for thirty years? Just rotate them out. I, and that, you know, not to go off on a tangent so early, but I think. <laughs> music journalism in general i think it's they don't give enough air to new bands like rock journalism every 10 years you'll get one band it's like baby metal and then they'll just focus on that and then instead of giving people options to choose that they like they give one band to polarize people about so people will not like ghost even though it's a good band because that's all they hear about yeah and it's like well if you give people 10 options they'll pick favorites so i don't know that's just my thoughts on that because there's so many good bands we're spoiled like my technology around me like i'm spoiled rotten for all the stuff I worked for and, you know, paid for, but, uh, the technology we have is insane, uh, today as musicians or anything, anything really, how we're doing a podcast right now is crazy. You know, you used to have to get into a studio together, but it's, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, I couldn't do what I do currently without being able to connect with people online. That's just not a thing without all the technology and the infrastructure that's involved in that It would pretty much, I mean, I can't afford to drive to wherever the fuck you are and, you know, all these people that I interview in Europe and everything. If I could fly around the world doing interviews and, and somehow justify in, the in cost. In five years. In five uh, years. We'll start see. a Patreon and go on tour. Well, we've got a Patreon, but it's not tour money. You know, it's, oh, I didn't even know that. I should join. You, you don't have to. 
You're fine. You you being here is more than enough. That's that's your donation to the show. Don't worry about that. I'll, uh, I said I'd bring the team next time too, and I should. Uh, yeah. They're just in crunch, you know, uh, working with bugs and uh, you know QA. We're doing all that stuff right now, so we're in crunch right now. I don't say that negatively either, so don't take it like I'm saying. Oh, they have us under the whip. It's like no, we as independent game developers i think crunch is just the mindset of game development because there's always more to add i think if you're passionate about your game you're always going to feel under crunch because there's a million ideas you want to get in there and obviously not all of them are going to make it you got to cut a lot out some people thrive when the pressure's on some people don't and that's there becomes a point obviously and we see this in not just the triple a game industry but many industries where and that's that's basically what capitalism and industrialism is is taking advantage of people's time and and paying them less than what they're worth. I'd say that's extent. every system of yeah. government in history is just how do we retool exploitation in a way that's a little less crappy than the last, but <laughs> enough that we can get away with, and then that just gets tooled down and down and down. Yeah, it's it's nuts. But I guess what I'm trying to say here is that if it's something that you're working on that you're passionate about, it doesn't feel like painful to work on it. You know, I, I yeah. feel very passionately about this podcast. So the fact that I had to wake up earlier than I wanted to today to talk to you is a pleasure. It's not a like, oh, um, you wake I, up two hours early or something sometimes. Yeah. Or, or late, you know, stay up way later than I want to when I know I have to go do obligations the next day. But if I know it's for my passion project and cool. And I'm sure the same is true for anybody. You know, I, I'm sure that Da Vinci didn't uh, sleep as much as he wanted to. Sometimes. He didn't set alarm clocks. That's no, for sure. definitely didn't. Unless he invented one and tested it. Did he? <laughs> he uh, probably he had a, a rooster like <laughs> in a box. And it was just like mechanically tuned to let him out in the morning <laughs> whenever he wanted the cuckoo clock of yeah. Schrodinger's Schrodinger's cock. Is what it was called. I'm pretty sure if you look through the documents. Anyway, Schrodinger and uh, Frude had a little collaboration. <laughs> what uh, What are some of the things that? Because we've been chit chatting back and forth a lot lately, but I'm curious with these these uh, radio segments and everything. You've been reaching out. I mean, obviously, you've got a bunch of different voice actors. You've got yourself as the radio host. Um, you're you're programming this essentially to kind of mimic the, the GTA radio stations, but you're also setting a much darker atmosphere for your world. Like your, your yeah. world in the GTA world, very different. Um, how, like, where did that come from for you? Where did the, uh, I don't know, the inspiration to use that medium to create this dark universe that you guys have created? Uh, the story of Scythe actually originated when I was in high school in like 2003 to 2007. I don't remember when exactly, but I wrote this rock opera about a post-apocalypse, kind of inspired by Bad Out of Hell, like the Jim Stein and Matt Meatloaf album trilogy. Oh, it, it's all set in like a kind of a post-apocalypse, and I just liked that music, so I made him saw a 28-song rock opera. And then eventually that just spiraled over years, and I'm, I started to release albums with Scythe Saga Records. And um, that all we were doing with the records was releasing albums and compilations, synthwave mostly, that told a story, like concept albums. And the goal there was to be like, what if Dark Side of the Mood had a sequel made by Deep Purple? 
and then they had another spinoff made by Judas Priest, and like all these bands just collaborated on this one story, which is what it started as. But the story was just too big for the concept. Like no one understood the stories. We used to write novels and put them with the releases, mm-hmm. and I took it all down. We started making video games because when we made video games, it all clicked. Like we had this universe built; it was ready. It's kind of all up here, and me, Caleb, you know, he's been with me since the record de- uh, label days, and. um yeah, the darkness you're asking about, the inspiration, uh, I guess it's kind of like stuff like 1984, Brave mm-hmm. New World, uh, Animal Farm, just like a dystopian. It's not drawing from any particular one. Uh, it's just all of them, essentially. Uh, the radio is definitely meant to give a lot of story background on what the player is being put through, right. I guess, without it's like spoiling a anything. plot device, in a, in a way, it kind of, it, it, without you taking time to make a cut scene or, or make you read a bunch of shit that you don't feel like doing. It keeps the action moving along while also it's supplemental immersing you in the world. Yeah. You can run right by it, but it's also, there's a lot of comedy in there. So it's like darkly comedic, like the GTA stuff you were mentioning, those radios were just, and like saints row and postal, all those games have these hilarious radios. Uh, either, either it's stingers or full on interviews. GTA would get like Patrice O'Neill and like, Danny McBride and uh, Jason mm-hmm. Sudeikis, uh, I think, was in one of them, and uh, Bill Hader, just these world-class voice actors. Uh, what I was managed to do is get cool new media, is what I call it, like YouTubers, podcasts like yourself, uh, people in the game industry, just friends of ours, really. And uh, it's cool to have that, just like a little niche. You called us all f celebrities, <laughs> which made me crack up, I think. I think it was... You said that the other day, and I'm like, yeah, yeah it's that's exactly, yeah. You take F- the F-list celebrities instead of the B-list celebrities. <laughs> I noticed you had, didn't you have Duke Nukem read something for you? Yeah, the beginning of the podcast is John St. John. Uh, I noticed that. I was like, that's that's awesome. <laughs> I I didn't plan that. Like that was never part of the thing. It was just when we interviewed him last year for Realms Deep. Uh, at the end of it, he's just like, hey, if you guys ever need anything, you know, me to read a line or two, like let me know. And I was like. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of course, uh, no problem. <laughs> That's iconic. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the best characters ever. I mean, John is just an amazingly nice guy. It's, it's weird how, but not you, John St. John. Uh, you're a you're a total asshole. I so, am. That is true. Uh, <laughs> there's too many Johns in this uh, little cloud of people that we work within. Yeah, I have shred, so people can just use that and divert from John. I, as a, I was older when I figured this out, like I think 30 or something, John is John or Jonathan is John and Nathan. I wonder if any Jonathan's ever just take the Nathan and leave out the John. I I feel like we all take the Johns. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, I I don't know. Nathan doesn't really shorten it up too much. It's like, Oh, you know, you just lose a syllable off, not all three. Yeah. You need to, you need to find a way to just like grind Nathan down to one syllable. Like, Nate. How many Jonathans you just go by Nate? And then you're like, hey, Nate, what's your uh, full name? Jonathan. What? That, I mean, that would catch Yeah, it's while. surprising because nothing, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, we were, we were talking about the game. <laughs> this always happens. It's fun. That's uh, the beauty of podcasts. I, I guarantee whenever this game is released, people are going to start... Uh, writing like weird articles trying to find like the, some political undertone as you said like this is kind of has an orwellian sense to it 
And I, I bet you there's going to be like, a, this is a beautiful metaphor for the uh, exploitation of workers and the, well, you know, whatever. Uh, and th- there's some truth to that, I guess, like just from my yeah. analysis. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, my whole thing is, is I, I'm like kind of anti-political. I feel like everyone's been kind of forced into these weird cults. And um, a lot of that is the commentary of the game is I think people, our games are escapism, first of all. So I don't want anyone to, I want everyone to enjoy them. Everyone that plays it should have fun and be able to put themselves in the shoes of the protagonist as they see fit. But um, our motto is always like, be kind to each other, which is just stolen from Bill and Ted. Be excellent to each other. Like, cause that's how we really feel. Uh, We should, so my whole thing is I think we should all be focused on what brings us together. But I mean, I guess that message isn't really apparent in the game. The game is like a triumph over social engineering, essentially. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there is some, uh, it's South Park. It's very South Park. Uh, the way I like to, they, they, they don't take sides. They, they're, they're on the side of humanity. I feel like in a way yeah, it's satire. Essentially, yeah, yeah, it's totally satire. Uh, before memes, there was satire. I always say that, like, Matt, Matt Parker or Trey Parker and Matt Stone are like the Mark Twain of our oh, they're geniuses, generation. like, they're, they're, they're so that genius. level where they book they Mormon, do something that America. is, yeah, like it's all like it all hits. Same thing with Mike Judge. I've been re watching yeah. Silicon Valley. Oh man, that show is phenomenal. And uh, I also gotta give a shout out to Mythic Quest, that show is crushing it. Uh, I haven't seen that one. It's about game developers, and it's by the Always Sunny guys. You know, uh, I don't know how to pronounce Mac and Mac's name, but the guy that plays Mac, Rob Mackenhelm or whatever. And, I've heard uh, Charlie. that name. Yeah, yeah. The, the two of the guys from Always Sunny, and then it's kind of like a crossover with Community in the terms of who's making it. I don't know. It's really good. It's really funny. Uh, there's not enough uh, entertainment about game development, in my opinion. Now that I've been in it for a while, it's it's ripe for the picking to make fun of us. Yeah, it really yeah. depends on like what angle you come at it from. I mean, there was like the movie Indie Game. Uh, I haven't uh, seen that yet, but I've been meaning to watch it. And that uh, the Midway documentary. Yeah. Insert coin. Yeah. I'm I'm probably gonna rent that pretty soon when I'm done crunching for Burger Farm. There, there's just so many different angles you can look at this. Uh, you know, people say the industry like a lot and i mean it is an industry but it's it's so as with anything there's several different types of ways to look at it there's like you can go sit at you know uh, ea's office or activision's office and look at people working there or you could look at people like yourself and that's a two totally different work environments yeah um, it's almost like an indie band versus a touring band that has a record deal right you know, there's this these garage difference. bands are practicing in their basement and they, they sound just as rocking when you go see them live. So, uh, it's, it's pretty cool that there's so much indie games out there. Like the, the lineup for realms deep is insane. Oh, I'm looking at all these people posting their games. I'm like, it's just so cool. How many cool games are available. You could never stop discuss. Like I was saying about music early earlier, you can never stop discovering cool new stuff, uh, from people that have complete creative control of their own vision. So you're getting unfiltered art. I guess you could say they're not getting, and I'll say that too. Like we're working with tiny build. They have not dampered anything. They've been completely awesome to work with. Like we, we get to tell every piece of story we want to, they give good notes. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, I mean, they, they trust our vision and 
I like that about indie gaming. I, I still like AAA games too, though. Like I like Far Cry. You know, I like every Assassin's Creed for the most part that I play. Uh, I, I just like video games, I guess, in general. I I just I got a Nintendo Switch late last year, finally, and I'm catching up on that. I've always loved Nintendo, you know, from my childhood. But what have you played recently? Anything noteworthy? Have you been checking out some of these Realms Deep games? Like getting yeah, that's what codes? I was going to say. I, I wish I could tell you. Uh, <laughs> I guess because this will air with Realms Deep, I could probably talk about all of it because it'll no longer be like an NDA thing uh, at that point once it's revealed. But I don't want to take a bet on it necessarily and then find out like, oh, they had to drop because it, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah, I've been playtesting a bunch of shit that are, that are coming in from Realms Deep mostly. Uh, just like a few highlights was obviously I, I fucking love your game. I really, oh, really like. I, I when I first saw this one because it's so different in in a lot of ways gameplay wise from previous Scythe Dev stuff. Like basically, you guys have always made like these first person horror games that involve like you know running, shooting, doing little tasks and everything, but not uh, burger making simulator. Uh, so yeah, that, that was, was interesting. Yeah, uh, Caleb just just designed the whole cooking system and Blake made this whole restaurant and then they brought it to me and it was like ready to go. And they're like, how should we make this scary? They had a few ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Caleb planned out all the scares throughout up until the switch with the simulation. And that was my idea. It was like, how about we make it like this corporation that exists within our universe. And that's what is, we're so fortunate in the connected universe of our games, because every time we have an idea, no matter what the subgenre of horror is, um, we uh, there's a way that we can fit it into the story where it fits organically. It doesn't seem ham fisted. Yeah. Uh, and so like, uh, I guess our inspiration in that respect is something like mortal Kombat, which I think is underrated in its lore because it takes from like Kung Fu movies and like horror movies, fantasy movies, action, adventure, uh, yeah. spy movies. It has like every cool genre, but it all fits and gels so nicely. And uh, I guess game of Thrones kind of did that too. And, there's a lot of stuff that does that, but I don't know. I just, I see like a John Carpenter discography and I'm like, I wish I could play the universe of these games. And that's yes. kind of like, he has a very signature style and it's just all this great cinematography. And I just like connected stuff. I don't know. I'm just like that. Isn't it interesting how like you can hear his music and imagine what kind of game it would go well with? Like, like lost themes. Yeah. Like those I two albums he released. Immediately. Like as soon as I hear it, I'm like, I already like the his, he's so good at communicating like a a feeling and a universe through his music, and it's probably because you know he's scored all of his movies, uh, so that's what the music was intention uh, intended to do anyway. It impresses me the most yeah. a guy like him because that's one of my primary inspirations. Because I get to I'm not saying I control the story; we all write the story together. But I'm the universe world builder guy, so yeah. like I get the role of writing the story and making the music so i know exactly what emotion i need to pull in any given scene and i think that's what makes john carp i'm not saying i'm like him but i'm saying him i can see how his music always hits exactly like it needs to like you're saying because he's the one that wrote it he's directing it he knows exactly what needs to serve it and he he, he isn't showing off he's making like the perfect like it's usually just a heartbeat and just like a nice synth pad and it's always iconic you know you go it's from halloween to they live to the fog Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York. It's like, how does this one guy make Assault on Precinct 13? And then the thing, it's just it's just awesome. I'm just a really big fan of him. The whole I, team is. I think could, Blake's a West guy. We could talk Raven about guy. 
John Parkinder forever, Carpenter forever. Seriously, I'm a huge, huge fan of all of his stuff. I just watched Assault on Precinct 13 like uh, maybe a couple weeks ago with my friend who had never the seen it. The ice cream it. scene. Oof. I mean, you could ne- that movie was made for television. Really? You know what I mean? Like, like cigarette burns. You could never do that now. No. You, know, you could do a lot of things, but violence on a child, that's like, I, I don't even like that. Oh, yeah. I, I respect the fact that at the time, like, that was a different culture, a different frame of mind. But I mean, nobody wants to see a little girl get get blown away like that i'm laughing because it's uncomfortable Uh, they set it up in a way that it was kind of goofy though i think i mean maybe it's the effects in in retrospect but i think they did set in a way that it wasn't as gratuitous as it could have been you know i I don't remember if there was like a fuck uh friggin' like no there's no you don't see her explode you just see like she she looks up the ice cream cone and then like the next scene is she's laying on the ground and you understand that she's dead but they they could have been way worse about it obviously but that that scene is that's the heel turn that's wrestling right there where it's like we are mm-hmm. establishing this guy is a piece of shit yeah yeah and, yeah you're not supposed to to relate yeah. to that character it's like an Eric Cartman right you're rooting against him <laughs> unfortunately some people do <laughs> um as far as like interesting games go like other than just stuff that i'm specifically testing or playing because they sent it to me a lot of the stuff in realms deep is stuff that i just found and liked where Um, did you find most of the games are you like one of the main scouts took that finds all the games or i last year i was the guy and then this year i realized how much bigger it was going to be and i knew that i wasn't really equipped to just know everything so Mm. you know e1m1 magazine uh i knew zach would be perfect for this. I was like, first meeting we had, Fred was like, okay, so you're going to like find all the games and stuff. And I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, let's bring Zach in. Let, let, give me a, give me a stooge. Is it bigger this year? Did last year have this many? Last year had a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I think this year is definitely going to be bigger in terms of its reach. And also I think there's more games. If I had to go through a list, because we could fit every name of every game on one poster, like, like in the bottom, like a rock poster. And this year, there's a lot more, a lot, a lot more. There's a lot of developers in that group, and and like I said earlier, it's all cool looking games. I'm watching them all come in. I'm like, nice. I can't wait to see some of these. Yeah, it'll be but real exciting. On my end, a lot of these were people that I already had contact with, or I was already a big fan of their game, and I saw it as a an opportunity. Like, hey, let's get involved. We get them involved in Realms Deep and. Tie, tie the knot kind of because that's the whole point of it that was fred's vision in the beginning is like you know take our you know the few big companies bigger companies that are doing this thing and then like use that as the back backbone of it but give back to the indie community give back to all these people that are just out there doing the solo or small dev team thing it's kind of what they started right when yeah. they revolutionized the entire industry and invented an entire subgenre of games that's one of the best ever now you know yeah, it's humbling for us to be even invited. We're just like, wow, like that's the games we grew up with, and we were like, just like this tall playing on like computers yeah. that can't even load the games that are made today now. I mean, so the first thing I was like, well, I want my game in there, so Call of Ragnar is going to be <laughs> showing off for sure. Um, and then there's there's a few others that were like Scald. I was like, if we don't show Scald the black priori i'm not doing it this year like that game is just undeniably cool and if if you haven't seen it it's a it's an 8-bit like rpg adventure game 
but it, I already it has, like the sound of it. Yeah, you would love it. Chiptune soundtrack. Just, yeah. Um, nice, nice. Very cool. Like, very, very cool. And that was one of them. Uh, Unleash Hell. Uh, Follow me's doing that one. It's like a, it's like a more complex Devil Daggers where you advance through levels. Um, just stuff like this. Like, I, how could I not? You know, when I see, because that's all I do all day is I talk to game developers. So if like if I have the opportunity to help them advance their stake and then they remember that later i mean all that does is boost us and make us look better too and it becomes this like give and take it's always symbiotic synergetic yeah it shouldn't be a thing shouldn't be i mean friendly competition is always good but um if anyone has been in development hell which to me again is a byproduct of wanting the best products it's always going to happen uh you will have empathy for every other game developer and you won't want to see anyone fail i I don't get any i don't understand wanting to see anyone putting their heart and soul into like a game wanting to see them fail i want them all to succeed personally i have empathy for the situation it's a lot of work there's a lot that goes into it and just to make sure all the moving parts like a lot of it's not even in the, the whatever software you're using you're making all this other stuff and then you have to bring it in make it all connect it's, there's a lot that goes into it. People talk about like you know market oversaturation or whatever. Like, uh, it, Boomer Shooters is a big part of this community. Obviously, it came from you know 3D Realms, Duke Nukem, Mid Software. Those those. We games. really want to make one <laughs> next. It'd be cool. I mean, but you know, Dave Dave Oshry would be on record being like, a, if you wanted to make a Boomer Shooter and make a lot of money, you should have done it like three years ago when they yeah and and which is whatever. I think it's a pretty substantial genre. There's always going to be. Oh, little indie games, and then ones that really stand out, like Postal Brain Damage, is going to be fucking awesome. Like, there's that's that is so that's going to be the best postal game ever because they <laughs> outsource the de- development to a real dev team. <laughs> Fuck you, Mike J. And uh, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why there has to be this idea that you know, there's only so many you know games that can we can have in this genre or in this community before people like stop you know being able to pick and choose and buy. Because I, th- I really do think that high tide raises all ships. It's Yeah, and that's how it should be instead of let's drain all the water so all the ships lower and then we're all stuck in the muck. No, yeah. it should be it should always be uh a, a process of getting better and bigger and cooler. And because what I've seen a lot is when I when people get into the Realms Deep Discord, you know, they start seeing all these other people that you know, a lot of these guys are working in a vacuum, right? Like they're just in their whole developing yeah. their game. Yeah. I am. I'll admit it. I didn't yeah. know about half these. I didn't know you had a game of development. I'm going to ask you to send me a link after we're done so I can check I'll, it out. I'll send you the, the super duper pre alpha demo. And oh, if you okay, wanna. cool. Awesome. But it, I guess what is it's, it? you want to give me a little rundown on what it is. Call us Ragnar. Yeah, sure. It's a, uh, if you ever played betrayal at Crondor. Uh, what's that? Okay. Um, back in the 1900s, there was a game called betrayal at Crondor. And it was like a very rudimentary sort of um, kind of open world adventure RPG. Uh, first person in which you go around the land and you find all these like interesting uh, puzzles, like opening up boxes and uh, entering codes and stuff. And you, it's basically like a you, you find out a little bit more about the story. You meet different characters and that kind of thing. But not like this over the top like, go fight a dragon kind of stuff. It's, it's very like atmospheric. Um, so I had, uh, Damien and the rest of the call us Ragnar team, Tony and Ben on the podcast, 
uh, to talk about this game because it looked so cool to me and a lot of people were telling me like this is going to be really, really interesting. So I took a look at it and played the demo and everything, talked to them. And then I just kept coming at them with all these like ideas, like not ideas about change the game, but like, what are you doing to market it? What are you doing to do like this and that and all the other thing? And eventually Damien just like, do you want to be the project manager? And I was like, I mean, I have no experience at all, but uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Experience is, is uh, trial by fire. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, um, you get good in that yeah. way. You know, it's real life. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm still rudimentary in, in terms of like, am I a game developer? No, I don't know how to write code. I'm not an artist, but am I part of the team in that I am giving all the feedback and connecting them with all the people? And I don't, I don't even know how to explain what I do. Uh, project management is weird because it can be a lot of different hats, as you said. I'd say that was still part of game development. It all is. Uh, yeah. Even if you're not writing any code, um, it's just all so important. It, that's why it's such an interesting medium is because you have so many different art styles coming into one. And I think yeah. that's why it's currently like the biggest moneymaker. And it's the future of entertainment and stuff that's interactive. That's why media is kind of going over to streamers and YouTubers yeah. and everyone always gives them flack. It's just like, Oh, these people playing video games to make a living. It's like, well, but you know how long it takes to build a brand like years. Like, they, well, then, they but then you ask that person, what, well, what do you do? You know, what do you do for a living? Well, I, I work at a fast food restaurant. Yeah, or yeah. Something. Like, so how is that contributing to society? Exactly. And how happy are you? To well, be it with? is too. Uh, even, yeah. I mean, I would never, I've worked in fast food. It's part, part of the inspiration. Me and, I know Blake's worked in fast food as well. Um, people kind of underestimate what goes into a kitchen. It, it is tough work. It's very I, intense. I'm not diminishing working in a kitchen. Oh, no, I know. How is that? How are you any better than somebody who's a content creator? Uh, there, now, there's a hack in every industry, right? Like, there's always going to be these people that are, in my opinion, like, oh, this is kind of soulless, you know? Um, that's Some not people what want soulless, you know? Yeah. Um, I think... I think right now the problem is there's too much like irony. You know, I kind of miss and see our artistic expression that isn't some punchline or like a ha uh ha. -huh. I think people are kind of chicken shit. Like they're too scared to be honest. Like make something you actually believe in. Why has it got to be some snarky joke all the time? Like you can break character. I sincerely urge you to break character at least once and say something real. You know, it doesn't all have to be a meme, I guess. I don't know. You got you to gotta break the fourth wall, so to speak. You got to um, nuke the fifth wall and question the existence of a sixth it's a uh, i don't know it's it's just an interesting thing i mean I, I again i have no practical usefulness in uh in terms of making a game all i know is like okay let me let me look at your patreon and then i the first thing i did was like i'm gonna fix this in such a way that you get more money Marketing's uh an art yeah. form all in of itself yeah it's, and it's it's not easy either that's another thing that's it takes hours of, of time a week, you know, it's, so like, big companies hire people to be community managers and it's a whole thing for sure. Yeah. Like even for like a platform, if you're big enough, you need someone just to run your discord, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, that person is just as important as uh, some of the people writing press release releases or, you know, it's a tree falls in a forest kind of thing. If there's no one else around to hear it, then maybe it did fall and it probably did make a sound, but no one heard it. So they're not going to buy it. The tree. <laughs> if it crushed an entire family of chipmunks, then no one was alive to uh, realize. Or the, yeah. 
we're getting all animals of farthing woods with it or uh, we, watership we're, down. We're really getting in the woods with this whole conversation. <laughs> this is cool. I love when it just like devolves into like anything but what we set out to do. Like that's my favorite part of a podcast is that you get to look at the actual psychology of a person instead of just like their well, let me tell you about buying my game, which you've been very kind about because you you really are not <laughs> turning the conversation back around to yourself. I'm going to have to do that. Um, Feel free. I mean, it's cool. I, I love having a tangential conversation. Do not get me wrong. But I do want to sell your game to people. Um, so what was the what was the genesis of this fast food game? I know that you mentioned, was this Caleb's idea to begin with? Yeah. Uh, uh, so let's do a fast food simulator. Yeah, that was always them wanting to make a simulation game. They mm -hmm. like systems a lot, like uh, interactive systems, money systems, that kind of stuff. I'm sure it's fun to design. Uh, but Caleb, he, he does, you know, art and music, and he does a hundred different things too. Uh, but since he's gotten into coding, because we made a bunch of games before Northbury Grove that we just abandoned, like a good 20. So, so I, I don't know, maybe some people are like, whoa, their first game went viral. It's like, no, our 20th game went viral after we failed to finish the first 19. Yeah. Which is fine. That's what you should do. But uh, we had like a like a Papers, Please inspired type, like a, like a border control type game. Uh, we had like a overhead GTA 2 style game that was really cool called Order of the Impaled. <clears throat> Uh, the Spectre City Slasher game. Originally, it was going to be kind of Hotline Miami, and you play as the slasher. And then uh, we moved to Unity because we were working on Construct games. So I don't know. I don't know what inspired him to make fast food, but beyond just wanting to do a simulation, I guess. I mean, it's a and, perfect metaphor for kind of what you guys are going with. You know, that wake up at night, drive to work, do the thing, and then you kind of get into a rhythm and as you get into the rhythm that's the perfect time to start introducing um wrenches in the system you know like throat well what, what, what would happen if we did this and it becomes really progressively uncomfortable just the demo alone like it, it really did that it was like okay the i'm doing this barn um the the one where you're working in the fast food restaurant i don't know which one there's uh there was <laughs> one sure on hio called burger barn and then there was the alpha on steam and I, um, whatever the one that was on steam is i believe the one that i played originally okay that was the alpha that was farm because yeah. there was a barn before farm but they're all canonical so like yeah you should play all three because it's not like the alpha isn't that actually happened and the full game is a sequel to both of those so it's kind of a little trilogy yeah if you will that's uh, interesting we, we revamped from the alpha entirely the whole city was reconstructed there's a whole new apartment yeah Mm -hmm. I think they changed the entire, yeah, the restaurant's completely different, new layout. But, um, I mean, spoiler, if you haven't played the game, you know, I'll give you a time. They upgraded the simulation. I mean, yeah. if you've played the first two, you know that's what's going on. So, basically, you're in a new simulation. You're a new person. You're a new test subject. I just mean, structurally, the act of doing a routine set of tasks repeatedly the and then and then throwing these uh these little bits of like okay well something wrong happened here or like you know like who keeps shutting out the power uh and then 
then you like you walk around one day and then there's this like weird fucked up thing going on with one of the mascots and that that's a really good way of kind of slowly introducing the universe and the horror to you as opposed to just you know you're standing there one day and like freddy fazbear is like hey i'm coming to kill you like or whatever it, it's not it's not the same thing i think uh big difference is we had the lore developed like i was saying earlier yeah. so everything like the underlying story that i'm I don't even know if people are going to figure out it's it's going to take another 10 games to really reveal. But if people are paying attention now, they're going to notice the big, Oh, and they're going to know the big twist that's going to happen five to 10 games from now and change the entire state of our world. I guess you could say there's big things and that are planned to happen. And uh, if you go back to the record label and look at the album titles and song titles, you kind of get an idea of where it's headed. But, um, the slow ramp up, like you're saying, isn't just this game. It's like the entire we're doing a prequel to the story that this originated as basically. That's what it's always been. We're building up to something big. And what that big thing is, is going to be really cool. I think uh, people that have played even more than like one or two games or more from our series will be blown away by the reveal. It's ready to be revealed. It's not like we're going to rush the end season eight and, and drop off you know, all the cool stuff we built up and just be like, no, that was subversion. Like, no, there's everything's built up to like a really well-defined ending. Or I don't even know if it's an ending, but I don't know. I probably sound like a crazy nonsensical person right now, but there's, there's a cool underlying twist behind everything. So the, there's been this interesting segment, uh, like a kind of an ongoing series on the loser podcast where they explore the different characters of your universe and like, yeah, the loser podcast is really interesting because like I, I do really long form interview kind of stuff and they have a totally different thing going on. And I love the fact that the medium is not just like one thing, you know, there's like their Joe Rogan style shit and there's your hardcore history kind of stuff. And then there's like what he's doing, which is totally awesome. Deep war dives type yeah. stuff. He's but it's really you know, cool too. bite sized chunks. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a podcast that doesn't require you to sit, you know, get, continually either sit in front of a screen for three hours or, or, uh, you know, like have it in your pocket while you're taking a jog and uh, pause and start up again and kind of re get into it. It's, it's a diverse, um, I don't know what to call podcasting art form maybe. Yeah, it is. I'd say it's replacing radio for the most part, but anyway, it's a whole point, new... sorry. Good. No, point being that, uh, his dive into your universe is like a, just a little snippet, you know, of, of what is a really, really crazily well thought out. I don't even know how much you guys plan it necessarily. And you can, you can elaborate on that, but such a cool, um, it's almost like the Marvel universe. And I, I don't really like Marvel that much, but you know what I mean? Like where you're building. I, I'm not a big fan thing. of the MCU either, but you're mm -hmm. right in that. Like I respect the, the, the hell out of, how much care they put into everything connecting. Yeah. And like, I don't go out of my way to watch their movies, but when one is on, I'm always entertained to the point where like, Oh yeah, it's pretty good. I'm like surprisingly like, Oh, that, that was, that was a nice waste of an hour and a half. <laughs> but, um, in the same fashion, like, yeah, everything we do is connected. Uh, if you go back to Northbury Grove, you'll see like posters of people that are influencing the story of burger farm, which is now 10 games ahead. Um, it's not necessary to play them all, but the more you play, the more enriched 
your experience is. Like even our two Dread X games, if you were only to play one of those, you you wouldn't get the whole scope. And then if you were not to play those in conjunction with all the rest, you wouldn't get obviously the whole picture to an even deeper extent. But it's like the Tarantino films, you know, where you have these recurring uh, families and like brands, you know, like the Red Apple cigarettes is probably the Big most Kahuna famous Burger one. or whatever. Yeah. Big Kahuna Burger. Um, or it's Kevin Smith does that. The View Askew stuff is all kind of connected, I think. Yeah. And the Vega Brothers, too. Like, you know, in Reservoir Dogs, you have, um, what's his name? Vinny. And then I haven't looked into that. Now I'm really intrigued to go look that up because, yeah. uh, if all his movies are connected, that's, that's really badass. It goes deep, man. Like there, you have to look for it though. It's just like what you're saying. Like, you, you, the more you watch, the more you notice like, the, yeah, that's is- important to us is that right. we don't want everyone to feel obligated to play all the games, but we right. also want to reward the people who do play it very heavily. Like there's people on our discord that are like, I think this is what's happening. And then I'm like, Oh crap. They're like seven games ahead. They, they actually know exactly where we're going so that gives me confidence that the story is being explained in a way that people can follow but at mm-hmm. the same time some people are like what the fuck is going on i have no fucking idea what the hell the story is and i'm like i don't know i don't know how much more story i can shove in your face like i got there's over an hour of, of radio talk radio and happy Tumble burger farm there's over an hour of tv programming all stuff we made uh hired a lot of it out had some help you know like all the mercenaries have been a big help. Um, I don't know. I just want to reward. I like stuff like that. You know, like I see a, a series like Mortal Kombat. I always go back to them because because of the different genres that they're mixing together. I want to see more of those side games like Shaolin Monks. And like, I remember Sub-Zero Mythology. Was that what it's called? That Sub-Zero sure. game. There was some Sub-Zero game that came out. And it was like a platformer, but it was so fucking hard and everyone hated it. And it was, I don't know, it was, it was ambitious as fuck, and I respect what they did with that. I want more stuff like that. Like, I want an open world Mortal Kombat that's on the scale of, like, a Far Cry or a Assassin's Creed. Like, imagine an Assassin's Creed-type game, but meets Mortal Kombat, where you're going through all, they have different realms. That could be the next Game of Thrones, too. Like, I'm a big fan of that franchise, but a lot of games are like that. A lot of games have that really big, like, Game of Thrones could be a, a, an excellent, or War of the Rings, they could pull from Tolkien's works and just make all these games. And I just like big universes like that. I'm a big fan of world building star Wars, you know, George Lucas just takes friggin' Western movies, puts them in space adds a little bit of samurai. And you've got like this cool new thing that it's, it's pulpy, but it's, it's unique. I don't know. Um, I like investment. George Lucas is the kiss of, of movies you know what i mean like where he understood that this this is a, a a film franchise that can be turned into a lot of other things um we, and you were talking about like lord of the rings with video games like there's only so much you can do legally as far as like yeah unfortunately <laughs> you, know, you know what i mean like somebody owns the ip to this i assume the tolkien family and then a few different uh you know film and but like shadows of mordor and mm-hmm. those that i Shadows of War, I think, was the second one. Those are fantastic yeah. games. Uh, yeah. I, and Star Wars, obviously, has had a long history of great games. Like Shadows of the Empire was one of my favorites when I was a kid. Rogue yeah. Squadron and all that Knights stuff. Knights of the Old Republic was mine. That was like... That wow. was... Uh, didn't that eventually lead into the, those guys making Mass Effect? Wasn't it that the same? 
I think it was the same people, right? I'm not going to say that I know that piece of information, but maybe, yeah. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can consult either. the Oracle if you want, but <laughs> that's another fantastic giant universe mass effect. It's I'm replaying the legendary edition right now. It's just so yeah. incredible how much detail. So that's like kind of, you know, the inspiration for our universe is that it's, um, it's not rooted in modern days. That's why we set it on the planet Scythe in our own universe. We don't want to be bogged down by the baggage of our existence or escapism. We want mm -hmm. people to have, you know, fantasy adventures. Uh, well, usually it's like experiencing a horror movie and getting chased by someone that's trying to stab you. But hey, for some people, they that that's fun. It's like riding a roller coaster. People yeah. like being scared. It's it keeps us. I think it keeps us intact with our instincts that kept us alive when we when we needed to do that. I was talking to uh, Damien from Call of Duty North the other day about this exact thing, where it's like because uh, he's like a very you know chilled out dude. He does not like horror so so much he's just not into like I he's like the world's awful enough i don't need any <laughs> more of that and like I, well, I that's totally valid too yeah and then but my response to that was like well yeah but for some people like thrill seeking and horror is calming right like like death metal to some people black metal for me like that i don't know why it doesn't make any like logical sense but that calms me down it has like the opposite effect on me than it does on you um uh, yeah, I, but, I I love metal too. So yeah, yeah. I totally like thrash metal though uh, is where I go with the heavy stuff. But I like black and death metal as well. I love metal in general. It's just so cool. So yeah, many different odds and ends. But it's, I mean, so do you want these people who enjoy that or are calm by that stuff? Do you want them just like roaming the streets, you know, without any outlet? Is that's what I was saying. Like you know, don't don't get rid of the baby with the bathwater. Like you may not like want to listen to this, or you may not want to play a game that's about being chased by a psycho. But the people who do need that, we don't want them to not have it. That's yeah. actually um, the whole senile showdown cameo. Mm -hmm. uh, spoiler alert: that you have uh, the whole segments about. We had this game that was a goofy beat 'em up. It was like a first person beat 'em up, where you're an old person escaping an uh, old folks home, fighting off mm -hmm. elder older orderlies. And um, we did this whole segment about violence in video games. And um, one of the characters we have that recurs is brought in. He's just ranting. It's just me. It's just some guy voicing my thoughts, exaggerated in a Bill Burry fashion or a Doug Stanhope, a Patrice O'Neill, like just club comic-y, South Park-y satire. But basically it's saying, why would you think video games cause violence? If anything, that's probably where people uh, vent all their frustrations. I'm going to go murder some people in call of duty rather than doing something horrible in real life, like quick, like kicking my dog or something, you know? Yeah. So like I never got the impression that video games would inspire violence unless that person was already prone to it. It's Not that the I'm a human, psychologist. It's but. the human equivalent of like, uh, you know, when you, your dog, right. If your dog's like really over, over, um, active, hyperactive that, I mean, most people are going to tell you like, well, you need to run them. You need to go help them get their energy out because if you don't, then you know if you keep a big dog locked up in a house all day they're going to exert that that natural need to get that energy out in some way that may not be desirable um you know f uh, sports right uh contact sports football uh, american football in particular is simulated warfare this was literally th that sport came from a a lull in war for americans like we didn't have any good wars to go fight so we need to take all these young men and get them out there and 
exert that energy and get that violence out of them. In a it's funny you say that because aspects of it, like I was saying, some some aspects and tenets of all these different forms of authority, I do agree with. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking in my head when I was saying that how much being on a football team was like, oh, I'm sure this is just like the military, like how they make it do. No, obviously not as intense, but you know, for a kid in eighth grade, sixth grade, I was glad I did the football for a year. I quit in high school because I wanted to play guitar and I was afraid I'd fuck up my arm or something. But yep. uh, the one year I played, I think it was really good. Uh, my dad was cool too, though. He made us work as kids, like do yard work and shit and installed a good work ethic, which has paid off for all the video games. You know, uh, our, my whole team, we're all workaholics in a way. We're yeah. always trying to do more. And that's something that, you know, you need to find with game development you need to find people on the same wavelength as you like so if you're a lackadaisical developer you shouldn't work with people psychos like me and my team because uh i i made like 15 albums for this game 15 albums worth of music uh an hour of tv and an hour of talk radio i'm not saying it's all good but it's all there and i put as much effort as i could into it and i didn't need to it's not like this game needs an hour of that but i want as much content for people to enjoy as possible yeah, I relate to that completely. I'm definitely like the the sort of psycho workaholic where I'll just I will it's push fun. myself way too hard, and then the people around me are like, uh, "Man, you were really grinding on that podcast thing." I'm like, "Well, it means a lot to me, so why would I not?" I get that though. Yeah, it's. I think that's how we started the whole conversation in general. Was just that's what you do. That's that's what makes you. I mean, that's what got you the recognition you're at. You know, if you were if you guys weren't producing um, at the rate that you are, then you would be far way far behind on getting to this big reveal you're talking about, or or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, we since we abandoned so many games, it was nice because we got to a fever pitch. We had finished like a few games like we had a a game set where this game is set ironically where that we abandoned and there's actually on youtube there's a footage of it still where you it's a first person shooter on the same island and you're fighting mutants and um i don't know it came to a point where like we need to finish the next thing like we can't like we've abandoned enough games do we had a fighting game a shooting game a futuristic city game we just kept abandoning them and it's like all right this is enough and then that was northbury grove and it just so happened to pick up. But like you were saying, like we continued to pump games out. So we did Northbury Grove, King's Comfort. We did in a month afterwards. We did uh, Walls Closing In. Took us like a year. That one was a tough development. And then Entity was like two weeks. But yeah, we just kept making games. Like uh, We made a bunch of prototypes, essentially. You know, short, one hour. More like movies than anything. Because really long games are, are a lot tougher to develop, obviously. We worked within our limitations for sure. <laughs> it's, but I don't know. I mean, how how much could you really expect to be output by three people? You know, if you, if you were to like yeah, exactly. total it up, like it were a business and then take it and look at what you guys do, like how many hours you put in, how much effort you put in um, all that stuff. And then what you've turned out from it, it wouldn't make any sense. Like it would seem like there's not enough time in the day for you to possibly do what you guys have done. And that could, you guys are psychos. Like, yeah, definitely. You have to be. You don't. You don't even have to like play the games uh, that are like also already kind of fucked up and horrific to understand. Like, these guys are crazy. 
might be. <laughs> But ah, I don't disagree. It, it, do you find it frustrating? I, I know you kind of said something about this earlier, but do you find it frustrating to work with people who don't put in the same amount of effort or like don't have that same drive? I guess it would be a better point of view. If they're not like uh, the, a lot of it's just respect, like I can respect someone's slower work ethic, but if it's to a point where you think I'm an idiot and you're just going to keep taking advantage, I know what you're doing. Like there's like I was saying earlier, we're so spoiled. There's like no excuse. If you, uh, you know, are in the circumstances of living where you're able to procure like the equipment you need and have a good job to do it. And I'm not like discounting how important like having the right stuff is, but if you have that stuff, there's no excuse not to put your effort in. You should be wanting to put all your effort in. So I do clash if someone is clearly just isn't invested, like it's offensive almost it's, it's insulting more. So uh, I'm insulted. If, if you see me putting out hours of music and you're like doing one little system, that's, um, like that's totally fine, but don't talk down to me, I guess. And I'm not going to talk down to anyone. I don't know. It's all about meeting in the middle. It's all about compromise. Uh, everyone should have empathy for what the other person is doing. That's or going through. Thing. I think yeah, in terms yeah. of like how much time you can put in, I was like, well, what you know? Do they have a day job? Do they have a spouse that too. or kids or college you know, like, or? all these other things that are important or a relationship. If they're getting married, if they're having kids uh, moving into a new house, there's a lot of stuff. Like I said, it's all down to the respect. Like if you have, we, if you have stuff going on, like it's, that always comes first. Um, Like I said, it's just, if someone's trying to screw you really, and I'm not saying that ever happened to us, but I've been in bands and I'm kind of thinking of my, some of my bands where, you know, people wouldn't go to practice and we're trying to get ready for a tour and they're just not putting it in any effort in, uh, that kind of screws the whole team, you know, and touring is, it's a very similar thing. Actually, dad game development and bands. It's, it's a very similar brotherhood or sisterhood or uh, family, whatever. When you get into like I'll call it publishing rights and revenue that's a that's a whole different story too because then there's always going to be that debate with like well do we you know there's five members in this band we should all be paid equally even though there's one guy who's like well i did a lot more than you did uh you know i wrote all the songs and i did all the merch and all that you know and that could be a whole thing um in itself yeah that's totally true uh like i said though caleb and blake are are like me they're psychos and you know we're all learning new skills to to make the game happen. Uh, everyone's putting in their best effort in every field they have, but we're at a point where we need more people. And like, just like you did for this year of realms deep, you need a bigger team at some point. You can't do everything yourself. And it's, it's only going to be better if you bring in other people and it's giving another person an opportunity and a job, uh, some income for a little while. It really just comes down to like, that's right. Like I have to set my limit somewhere. Like there's, there's only, so much I can put into there's only it's a, there's a number for this. There's like an actual psychological term for this. And I don't remember what it is, but you can only keep track of so many different people or things. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we're, we're programmed to live in like 
small communities where you kind of know everybody and you can, you know, reasonably retain information about them so that you can interact. Um, so there's only, I, I can take care of maybe 20 or 30 games at a time where I can just think of like, recall right off the top of my head when that start, that number starts getting up to like 80 something like, yeah, I, I can't do this. And I only have so much time in the day to really think about it. And then there's, and with you guys, it's like mess, people are messaging, like asking questions. You know, can I do this? Can I do that? When's the deadline? And all this. I'm not going to spend all day long just replying to messages. You know. Yeah. Um, it's only finite time. Yeah. Um, but that's why Zach, only I'm available because yeah. everyone else is doing the technical stuff and, uh, yeah. you know, making sure everything is held together. You know, I'm just making all the fluff to to sit around when you're hitting the bowl. Like, hey, I watch my TV programming. <laughs> but I mean, there's there's value in that too. The value oh, in yeah, the, I'm just being I'm available just, to do press is just as important as anything definitely. Else. That's what I was telling you earlier. Marketing is definitely an aspect of game development. I mean, it has to it has to encapsulate what you're what you're selling and not like yeah. those like weird Twitter or social media ads. It's like mafia city. And it's like, none of this is in the game. This is all just CGI. And then the gameplay is completely different. You're just hooking me with this weird meme, like surrealist. You know what I'm talking about? Those games, like the apps that, that, that show you gameplay that isn't in the game. Yep. It's a whole genre of, of game. It's kind of like that Elsa gate shit, just weird internet stuff. I think it's AI. I mean, do you want to get into that? How robots are going to kill us all? You can talk about whatever you want, man. <laughs> in the next five to ten years that that was one of my theories the passive aggressive apocalypse that that machines are intentionally just working at like 80 percent efficiency so that 20 percent of the time they mess up they're driving humans insane so that eventually we all kill each other passive aggressive apocalypse theory it's like skynet but it's just like like it's like if instead of arnold it's just someone that that's really passive it's like yeah he shouldn't talk to you like that and then passive aggressive apocalypse I mean, if you think about machines as you know, potentially living organisms, right, right now they're they started off in like a the same way as anything else, like this single-celled little organisms that were just like you know rudimentary calculators and computers and things. Um, slowly over time, they evolve and they become more and more complex, just like we did. Just you know, like it, images, like for mm -hmm. to put it in castle, like a JPEG of Mario, it has more data than the entire nintendo cartridge yeah just a picture of it on the, your computer that's how and much it's gone from a single cell organism like you're saying they're slowly using us like not intentionally but as you like passive passive aggressively they're they're becoming part of us they're like oh, using definitely. our bodies to continue to evolve themselves and they're programming us to be more and more dependent on them to the point where we can't survive without i mean like take go go find a fucking 16 year old girl and take her cell phone away I dare you. Yeah. yeah. I never yeah. thought of it like that, but like pe the parasitic nature. I wouldn't even say both. parasitic. I mean, it's symbiotic. We're symbiotic. gaining a lot from it to some extent, but we're kind of like cyborgs or we're kind of like in a hive mind at this point. Uh, you and I are talking through a computer right now. Yeah. We're staring at a webcam. The only thing that makes us non-cybernetic is it's not attached. Like if we had our cell phones attached, you know? Yeah. But the, those headphones look mighty fine on your head, man. Might, might as well just have them on all the time yeah. and a face yeah. mask permanently. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, you're totally onto something there. Cause it's, it's a very real thing that is like 
you know, it happens slowly enough that we don't really notice it, but you, know, you talk to it, you know, go talk to your grandma. Like, you know, this if is the internet went down, the world warfare. would fucking did like at the end of escape from New York or escape from LA. I forget which one spoilers when he's like snake, you'll put us back to the stone age back then. It wasn't even comparable to what would happen now. Cause like, right. like uh, it has to be at least half of the population makes their income primarily from the internet. Yeah, it would probably destroy the economy. Not the just entire terms- infrastructure of everything right. would just shut down. Like that, Thanks. there was that one Die Hard movie where that that's what they were they were like digital terrorists and like they like shut down the grid and all these cars are crashing. I'm like oh shit, that's a cool movie. That's the idea behind like cloud you know servers is that, or or Bitcoin even is that you know if your system fails, it's still saved over here you know across the world and there are several different other systems that kind of prevents a failsafe. But if you know like that solar flare happens that just simultaneously kills everything on the planet in, in terms of yeah then yeah everything would crash that we would we'd be right back to just you know hammering rocks or whatever with with another rock i think I mean, that's why i don't get all the anarchists like why would you want anarchy i don't want anarchy um like to think that that would be a better way of life like oh no like in an anarchy like you don't get canceled. You just get murdered and they take your bread. Like, I don't want that. Like, I like what we have now. It's just, I feel like the media is the main thing responsible. Cause like, if you looked at statistics of like crime and homicide and all this violence and everything, everyone was getting nicer from like the eighties to like 2010. And then I haven't seen data from 2010 to 2020, but, uh, you never, you never heard about it. It wasn't like we, we didn't get, blasted over the head every day with you know like uh the opposite of fear propaganda we like fear mongering the opposite like um everything's getting better like we're actually nicer like i don't understand why no one knew that for so long and it's just like that's kind of a big like you were asking if the game is political i'd say that's the only really thing i'll say i actively was making fun of media and how it how it turns everyone against each other like i don't understand why people aren't friendlier like we're like you said we're talking through the computer like we can all communicate there's no reason we should be getting less civilized we should be uh getting along more and i think just uh, like i said the media is just it's not working in the interests of the people that's for sure i have a tendency to kind of romanticize like pre-agricultural humanity uh like Not that I think it would necessarily be better than the standards of living we have now or whatever, but just this, uh, again, like living in a small town to me, way better, way, way infinitely better than living in a giant, like metropolis. Yeah. Infinitely because people value each other more. They can remember each other, you know, like I've got a microcosm for you. That is actually, um, when I was touring in bands, I played hippie festivals and, uh, some of the festivals we played are big and then some of them were small. And I always liked the small festivals more because it was like a hundred people versus three thousand, and then you meet all hundred people by the end of the weekend. And it's like, oh, cool, it's a little family. And then like uh, these bigger festivals, just like ten thousand, you're not even going to remember the weekend. It just goes by in a blast. It's like just so crazy and right. But that little community for the weekend, I like the little ones. And when you when you meet, you know, a familiar face that you actually remember. I mean, what's the worst? thing that happens is when you 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 have a really important um to you conversation with somebody or a meeting with someone and then you know you feel like you're really connected and then like you meet them years later and they're like i don't remember anything like 
If it's they're not a stoner, the... you can be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they just need a little reminder. Like, it's, it depends. Like, as someone that went on tour and stuff, I've met like hundreds of people and had hundreds of those conversations. So it's just like, sometimes I do need a little kickstart. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Fuck. I remember now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it makes you rude or whatever. I'm just, I'm just talking about that that finite number of people that you can deal with. Like, if it really meant a lot to the other person, and then they realize that, like, it, it can feel like you're saying, "Oh, you weren't important enough to me to remember." Not that you mean that, and, and I don't think anyone has that thought about you in particular. Just that's um, that's a point of proof of what I'm talking about. See, I'm better at that, like remembering that shit, but I'm bad with names. I'm, I fucking forget names, but I'll remember like, oh, we saw fucking Max Creek that year at Strange Creek in 2013 and raged and then had a jam session at the campsite. That was sick. And then got in a car accident with the deer and or whatever. No, it doesn't have to be that crazy. Yeah, that's, that's definitely one of those things about tragedies in general that like people band together, like post 9-11 America. Um, suddenly oh, everybody was cooperating very quickly. Well, do you remember where you were? I remember exactly where I was. I was in uh, first grade and my teacher, you know, came in with a TV and put the news on and explained to us what was going on. Um, and my mom was pissed because like, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to tell a first grader is that like yeah, our country's being attacked shit. right now in real time. Um, Yeah. I was in seventh grade. They made us go to homeroom. And I remember what I asked. I raised my hand. I'm like, is this as bad as Pearl Harbor? And the teacher was like, wow, that's a really good question. <laughs> and then I, for, I forgot what he answered. All I remember is he said it was a good answer. I think he said it, we're going to need time to see. And yeah, I don't know. Was it worse? It's it's actually debatable. <laughs> it's still it's still up in the air. Yeah, you could have a whole like dissertation on, you know, what were the political ramifications of each thing and uh, what were the societal ramifications of each thing? And then, or you could just start talking about death toll, but then you'd Mm -hmm. have to extrapolate like, okay, how many deaths did nine 11 directly cause, you know, on the ground, like the day of the attack, certainly a lot of people or civilians versus soldiers type shit. Cause people think you're more dispensable for some reason. But if you want to go with Pearl Harbor, then there's like several years of like, basically uncontrolled warfare with Japan that resulted from that. Not to mm-hmm. mention our, we, that also caused us to become involved in the, you know, European front. And then you total up all those numbers of people who died. And then you total up all the numbers of people who died in the Hiroshima and Nagasaki attacks. And <sighs> even before that, the fire bombings in Tokyo and Dresden and every like, man, it, you know, you'll never know the answer to that question, which one was worse. But. That's why I don't get why everyone's always just like, I prefer this system of governments. Like, well, why don't you just take the good aspects from all of them and make new stuff? Like, why are we so fixated on this is wrong? This is right. It's like, no, this behavior is wrong. This action is wrong. It's not really, I'm not a, an anti anything except extremist. I think any ideology, any Rudy ideology is fine. As long as the person wielding it is amicable. If you cannot mm-hmm. have a, amicable conversation with someone that's on the other side you have become evangelist on whatever your extremist thoughts are you now think this person is a heretic for thinking slightly different and i see this a lot i see it in things like even music taste it's like everyone has become so polarized it's like we don't Dude, have that's to be not metal this. that band fucking sucks you something like that yeah. i think punk's the worst uh punk i've never seen a genre that is just so like it's just so totalitarian it's like everyone has to think exact you're not punk but you're saying with the metal stuff uh 
I, I I've gotten shit for like listening to Iron Maiden from more of the death metal kids, and I'm just like, oh, I like death metal. I mean, what's wrong with Maiden? It's just like it's just prog rock that's a little heavier. Um, it just makes me laugh. I don't care if you don't like Iron Maiden or a band I love like Deep Purple. Uh, it, I didn't write their music. Why am I gonna care? I don't have a per that. It, if you make fun of my music, even I'll just be like, okay, like, I totally respect your your difference of opinion. Not everyone's gonna like it. It's cheesy. There's something very American about that that argument because like if you go to European music festivals and look at the lineups of them, they're very diverse. Like you know, you could have Iron Maiden and Deep Purple on the same card as like Slayer and Cannibal Corpse and uh, like Thy Artist Murder or whatever. Like they could all just be like right next to each other. Um, and and American tours in general, and especially in our I think our festivals, we try to like compartmentalize things into like one particular genre. You know, with stuff like Lollapalooza and Co- Coachella. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, those festivals I went to in the hippie scene were good because the jam band scene was kind of like the offset of the hippies and jam band, uh, Grateful Dead, Almond Brothers. Uh, it had, you could go everything from hip hop to funk to to electronic music, dubstep, side trance, uh, some metal bands. My band was kind of like a prog rocky. You're kind of like, I don't know. Some people said we sounded Zappa-y, but I, yeah, he's, he's insane. He should have been president. Um, (laughs) But those, I what I was saying earlier, I agree with you in that what I was saying earlier about music journalism or like just the mainstream. It's just like we're we're only given like twenty to thirty bands in any particular genre, and that's it. It's like there's so much music. Why do we have to hear about this one person over and over and over again, and just them? And it's like they're thirty years into being on the top of the charts. It's like I'm so sick of this same artist give us some more choices and I wouldn't be sick of that person. I'd probably like them. That's kind of my point. Like, like a great Van fleet, like they're good musicians. The only reason that anyone shits on them is because that's the only option they get. There was like four other bands that, you know what I mean? Like give people options and they'll, they'll pick what they like. They won't pick to like or hate something. They'll gravitate towards what they want. I mean, I don't even know anybody within our kind of generational age group who still really listens to terrestrial radio anyway. I mean, most people just go on the internet and find the music they like. And, and Yeah, but I'm talking about Spotify and shit because they're all, it's all rigged. It's um, entire music genres have come up out of just buying fake likes and then hitting the charts. And now all of a sudden you have faked your way into success. Um, it's happened uh, it happened with dubstep when it was blowing up and I've produced dubstep. So I'm not trashing the genre. I actually really like it. But, uh, at that time, Facebook actually was a viable means of uh, marketing. And, uh, in MySpace, when I, that's it was, was, it was after MySpace, but it was okay. when Facebook was still relevant, like you didn't need to pay f- to market. And like all these people, all these big dubstep artists had millions of fans in the same city in the same country. And, ev- and everyone's like, ah, oh, you cheated. And so they hit the charts. It was like that title scandal with jay-z he has a he owns a streaming service and he was falsifying millions of plays for himself his wife and drake why do they need more recognition we're already getting them shoved down our throats like why don't you spread the love but i will say title apparently pays the highest in percentage probably because he's putting it right back into his own pocket but it's just like why do you need to rig the game anymore it should be like streaming is fleecing artists. Like it, it made me crack up so hard when all those people that work at Spotify are like, God, oh, cancel Joe Rogan's podcast. 
well, you haven't fought for the rights of me earning actual good money off my hundreds of songs on there, you assholes. You're not fighting for my stream and royalties rights. You just want to get this guy brought off the friggin' platform. There's, there's thousands of artists that, that should be getting a higher percentage of their royalties. You know, but That's like, we were talking about marketing earlier. It's exactly the same thing. It's it, People don't, you know, we use the word buy, but that, I mean, engage, I should say. Um, based on their logical thought. Oh, all. it's emotional. Like, yeah. Zero. Like proven fact, people don't think about what they do when it comes to like how they consume things. It is almost always about their emotions and what it invokes in them. And that's how that was, that's what makes people activists. That's what makes people do all mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, there, there are definitely some people who are like really deeply thinking about what they're doing before they do it. And that's a, an art form. That's like a years of meditation, Buddhist monk kind of skill to learn. Enlightenment type stuff. I'm not saying I'm enlightened, but, and there's certainly a lot of emotion attached to it, but you know, part of what this podcast is, is like to try to make people think about their purchases in the gaming industry before they just throw their money. You know, I've just why lost would you, us all our sales. Yeah. Like why, why do you spend 70, 70- dollars on like this soulless piece of shit that was just and the only reason you're buying it is because it was marketed to you in in the perfect way when you could be uh throwing all that you know you could spend 70 bucks and get like most of the scythe dev team collection and have a whole universe to explore and not feel like you just supported an industry that's like exploiting people because we gave out most of our games yeah they're mostly free on hio it's and you know, That's like that thing. benefited. Like we we went viral several like a lot of big streamers played our first game, like right off the bat. And like mm-hmm. we didn't go viral again, you know, like right away. Kim's King's Comfort didn't get hit up by a bunch of numbers. Uh we 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 kept going. But um we released all those for free because we want people to have fun playing horror games. You know, we wanted to give to the indie game dev community. Of course we wanted to be successful, you know, like it worked out for us eventually. Um, we never intended to get published. They, the people just came to us and things worked out. Dread X Collection 1 and 2 was a real fun to work on. You know, and if it uh, weren't for Dread X and like Northbury Grove and stuff that I played for little to no money, um, when I heard about Happy's Humble Burger Farm, if I didn't already know Scythe Dev Team, I probably wouldn't have been interested in it. Like, I don't want to play a burger simulator that sounds dumb, but because I know who's working on it, because I've played a lot of your shit, I was like, "Oh damn. Like that's going to be interesting. There's no way that can't be." So you I um you built a brand around it too. Yeah, the the gameplay loop is so past just cooking that it's it's very interesting. I yeah. think it's it's a But you understand that style. when people just browse through games and they're like, "What is that?" Well, it's well, like the, the same thing I was saying with streamers. Yeah. They have to build yeah. up a brand. Like people yeah. aren't just Oh, I want to watch this video game. It's like, no, I want to watch this particular person play it again because they have yeah. charisma and they built their own thing. Again, it's like an emotional attachment thing. It's not what it's not what content they produce. It's like that they feel like they have a relationship with this person. You know, and we actually have done that from day one. Like, uh, mm-hmm. cultivated actual. Like, I, I was the guy when we blew up. Like, there was a bunch of people playing our game, so I used our saw youtube account to just actually go leave sincere thanks on everyone and they everyone i did it to it wasn't just big streamers it was all the little ones too they all appreciated it so much that for a while i would comment on every single playthrough of our game 
and leave like time stamped remarks to, so they know I was actually watching and taking notes and it helped us. It was like free play testing, free advertisement. And then I think for them, it helped them feel more legitimate that a dev came, um, which is funny to me because, you know, thanks, man. Like, oh, okay, I'm cool that you got a kick out of me doing that. I'll keep doing it because it's easy and yep, it, it's a symbiotic. Like we've done a lot of that with Call of Ragnar too, where I'm like, well, hey, like I'll reach out to some streamers who seem like they're into that same genre and like we'll set up a time. Why not just have the devs show up and crash a stream one day and just like start talking about like oh as they play as you play the demo here's you, you can ask all your questions and get direct feedback and it makes your stream look fucking awesome and it was really cool and then yeah it is everybody great to jump in on, on both ends appreciated it uh Berlizzi played our uh, walls closing in as a live thing and there's like three thousand people it felt like a movie premiere because like as game developers i didn't like youtubers or streamers playing games before i started making them not that i hated them i just did i had no reason i game so i'd never watched anyone but then once yeah. we started making games and i i started watching these people i'm like oh wow they have so they do such a big service to us um not only are they giving us feedback and uh, advertising but they're enabling us to live our own experiences like i can't play my game and feel like but i can watch someone else and live vicariously through them like their fear, I can. I'm not going to be scared of what we make. We made yeah. it. I made that song. That song isn't going to surprise me. But seeing someone else, I'm scared for them. I guess. Uh, so yeah, that was really cool. Those live streams are always cool. Feels like a premiere. Like I was saying, it's, it's, yeah. And they're using their brand to expose yours to people who otherwise might not have seen it. And, and that's, that's why huge. I brought them in. I brought them yeah. in because uh, a they're they're funny. Like. Uh, you know, like someone like Dom plays or Berlizzi, they both read some stuff for us and it's hilarious. You know, you and the Loser Podcast and Kyle, who's been a voice actor with us forever. Uh, you know, I write these scripts and I'm like, is it funny? I don't know if it's going to read until someone else reads it. And then I'm like, yeah. okay, this sounds this sounds legitimate. Like this doesn't, I'm not a hack. <laughs> well, this is like one of the questions you asked me the other night was like, does it sound like natural? I'm like, well, no. It doesn't at all. It do, it sounds like GTA Radio. It doesn't. Yeah, sound yeah, like it shouldn't a, sound you know. like that. Uh, I guess uh, was I was talking to you about like coast to coast AM. Right? I didn't know that. That's really cool that they yeah. got him. Um, yeah, I like getting cameos. I hit up. Um, I'll say I hit up one of those criminal psychology uh, YouTubes to do mm -hmm. a cameo, doing a break, a psychological breakdown of the slasher. It was going to be on the radio, but they never responded. Do you should get one of the uh, like the makeup horror story girls? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, this is a whole thing on YouTube. My wife loves this shit. I don't. I don't get it. It's not my thing. But there's a whole kind of like community of uh, women who like to tell true crime stories while they do their makeup or something oh, okay. like that. Okay, it's interesting. And so it's like the time frame is like how long does it take me to put on my makeup? And they're telling like a. You know, sometimes I, I've gotten sucked into a few because, like, I like I, I like true crime. I think everybody does to some extent. Um, but yeah, like those kinds of people have huge audiences and also might be really good for that kind of content too. It's interesting. Yeah. I it, it's it's kind of like creepy pastas and pastas, whatever. In a way, that's like it's kind of like the new form of urban legends. It's like our generation or the generation under us. You know, I'm millennial. You know, millennials and Gen Z, probably Gen X to an extent, are we have a different method of 
urban legends. It's like viral stories on the internet, which is fine. It's it's interesting. Or uh, SPC, SCP, whatever that's called. Yeah, secure secure control, whatever. Yeah, uh, we Steel, had SCP collaborate. No. <laughs> we had SCP blackout uh, at Realms Deep last year. Um, Ma- Mahalik, he worked on the. He did some Dread Dreadx. Game. Yeah, I remember him. He's cool. Um, he did a, the one, the first one, the Outsiders. That one was really cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, a lot of twists in that one, in a nice atmosphere. I liked all yeah. those. Those Dreadx games are cool. I liked those because it was a lot of different indie developers, and it's cool to see, you know, all of us just, all right, let's make something quick, and uh, to make it to make games and and just a week is crazy but i will say for dread x2 we we did not keep the confines i worked on that game until it was released i just kept adding more stuff to the end of days um because uh i think the second time around we weren't but car thank we made it like strict we stopped uh we actually there was a part in car thank like an intro sequence where you walk into the tomb mm-hmm. you're like in this weird alien world it's kind of like alien or something and we got Very rid deeper. of that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I was pissed we got rid of that. It really set the stage. A lot of people were confused with that game. And I think the whole intro sequence with I, there was this cool song, and they they designed a they did they didn't like the map they made, and they're crazy because it was sick. They're like, oh, this isn't good. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is awesome. This sets everything up perfect. I guess I'm like the guy that's always like, this is great. And they're like, yeah, I don't know, man. But it's funny. Carthank in general was just like weird. We needed like, uh, a little more time to polish yeah. is all. Uh, I think for seven days, I'm proud of it. Yeah. That, and uh, the platforming was a little wonky because I think we just needed to extend the platforms a little and it would have been fixed. Uh, I'm really proud of the soundtrack I made for that game. The Egyptian sci-fi type Byzantine stuff was really, really fun to make. Uh, one of the best theme songs I've made is for that. And then there's some cool pause music too that I actually put binaural beats in. So if you listen to it, it puts you in some state that's like uncomfortable. One yeah. of the theta or data delta, I forget which one it is. So I would like to take some time at least out of this interview to discuss like what was your inspiration? What was that moment that made your path go from several different potential things to music? And this is what I want out of my life. Uh, getting a guitar, but it's funny because in I think I was in sixth grade. Um, me and some friends wanted to start a band, but we didn't play instruments. We just wanted yeah. to be like little, like like Slipknot, Eminem, basically just like running around like singing edgy lyrics because we were in sixth grade. And they're like, "Hey, we should all get instruments." And what's funny is I was supposed supposed to get a bass, and I asked for a bass, but I ended up getting a guitar, and I just took to it right away. Like I was writing riffs almost immediately. Um. I didn't really, I I had like one or two lessons and I didn't really like it. They wouldn't teach me metal. So I'm like, I don't want to learn greens leaves. Of course. Now I realize, yeah, now I realize all that was really important. Mary had a little lamb that was the foundation that I think that was the, that was the first fucking, I don't even remember how to play it now, but learn how to play. Mary had a little lamb by Stevie Ray Vaughan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a fucking banger. That's where it leads. But yeah, so the guitar um, was the start. And then when I was saying I made a rock opera, that was the kind of the start of Scythe in 2005-ish. Um, that was actually composed on guitar tablature software. 
because it was beyond the capabilities I had on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. And then I remember at that part, I remember sitting in the room making that music and thinking to myself, I can't wait to be able to play this one day. Just the music I was writing was beyond my abilities on piano. And now I'm like at that point where I could, I want to make that album, but we're too busy. Um, we're just constantly working. So, <clears throat> but um, what's funny about the whole tr- history is throughout my life, everyone's like, that sounds like video game music. Every time I like made an album or a song, I'd show them, yeah, it sounds like video game music, man. And um, it's just funny. I ended up in that field because it, it was like everyone knew it. Like, that sounds like Final Fantasy. I'm like, I'm, I still have not played a Final Fantasy game, but I can't tell you how many times people say your music sounds like Final Fantasy. I'm like, oh, I, I take that as a compliment and I've never played the games. I'm sure they have great soundtracks because that's yeah. a classic series. I've heard bits and pieces. I've like went and listened. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a fucking huge compliment. Thanks. What made you want a guitar in the first place, though? But we were starting the band. Yeah, but why? Like, why did you want to start a band? That's sort of like because we were really like, big fans just, of Slipknot and like okay, new metal at the time. We were, okay. um, and then once I got the guitar, I kind of gravitated away towards it. it uh, this actually ties in really well. Uh, during this game, I actually made a bunch of different albums, and one of them was a new metal album like that style. So I went back to the childhood music I listened to, like all that stuff, like System of Down, Slipknot, even the ones I didn't really listen to, like Corn or Linkin Park or Limp Bizkit, the ones my sister was more into. Um, and then upon Slipknot was my favorite at the time. And uh, I had this feud with another band in sixth grade where like they kicked me out because they like, I wanted to get a little too old uh, maiden with it. So they kicked me out. And then I just disavowed Slipknot. Like, fuck them, fuck your new metal. And then as an adult, when I listen back, I'm like, why did I disavow this genre? It's really fun, and especially Slipknot. They're like fucking sick. I'm like, I don't remember them having riffs this nasty and i'm like why did i stop listening to this band for 14 years i should have continued i don't know they were a lot better than i remember uh, it was really good to go back and listen to all that music it was a fun to marilyn manson and like rob zombie and just all these the lyrics is what makes it corny to me it's just like i was like going it was like we were all like the angry puberty like i hate homework like it's just that stage of life at the time when it was big so the lyrics are just so corny now as an people adult. equal shit. <laughs> yeah, people equal shit. Or like Limp Biscuit, like break stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like like, yeah, when you're like 14. Yeah. I, <laughs> I still love Limp Biscuit. I don't care. Me too, me says. too. I still I, like I said, I went and listened to all that new metal. I'm like, this is awesome. And I made like an eleven song album out of it. And like it, it was really fun to go back. It's okay, so that that's a good route in, I guess. Like so new new metal. But then in uh, so that was sixth grade, seventh grade. I heard yeah. like Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Ozzy, and I went old school metal, and that kind of defined progressive rock. Anything progressive, like I think Deep Purple is the greatest band of all time, and I say that with a completely straight face. Everyone shits on them. It's like listen to their discography. No one comes close. Like like a Frank Zappa, like Frank Zappa is like probably one of the most like the way he went into different genres of music. But what I like about purple is it's still accessible to people that aren't master musicians. Like they are very technical, but they can, they can reel it back in. And like, to me, they're the perfect blend of, of technicality, speed, uh, genre mashups. Uh, they basically started every element of metal. I like, cause I think them black Sabbath and, uh, Led Zeppelin kind of start. They're like the three bands that really got metal kicked off. Yeah, yeah, I would throw like 
a bunch of who and blue cheer uriah and heap and, yeah, yeah yeah blue cheer is good and like gentle giant uh, jethro toll vanilla fudge vanilla fudge yeah yeah there's a lot of bands like budgie budgie oh. uh, there's a lot of bands that just kind of live in the shadows of just sabbath and zeppelin um and uh, even deep purple's one of them but like they to me they brought speed and classical influences they brought all the stuff i like they brought that cinematic their 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 uh music sounds like a movie almost and i that's what i like uh, is progressive music music that takes you on a journey so as far as writing that's what i always did with every song i've ever wrote it's supposed to be a little journey even the guitar solo is a journey and a journey uh there's a narrative there to every song i guess yeah purple's definitely uh, it's one of those that just they don't come up enough when you start talking about like the origins of metal music and stuff because people are always you know like black sabbath is obviously number one and then the the heavy riffs they brought the horror and the the doom and the sludge and then zeppelin was kind of like the cock rock like bluesy but i don't know like richie blackmore and john lord are just so sick like and and uh their interplay and they they were the band that jammed live like they'd take lazy and play it for 20 minutes and they're doing all these crazy solos it's just like that's what i want to see if i'm going to a live show i want to see something different i don't want to see you play your album note for note i want to see you take your songs that's why i like the jam scene um the bands i was in more history when i was in bands we would take we'd write these short little songs and then we'd extend them to 15 minutes live and every time we played it it was different based on the route and that was the funnest i want to start a band when all this pandemic shit's over i would love to and tour and do all that again on the side be great when i was like 19 ish i had a job like just a job job where i was uh, doing event security and i got that's always fun i got the chance to you know work for a lot of you know concerts and shit and a couple of them that really stood out to me was like one was dave matthews band which i was never a dave matthews guy um, his band rips. I'm not a big fan either, but his band is sick and they jam. Yeah, like that's what they are like the kings of like that hippie j- jam band shit, like widespread panic, those kinds of Oh, widespread sick. Know. Yeah. And they but were it was funny like a, squid billies. <laughs> yeah. It was an eye opening experience getting to see like that a band cut loose. Yeah. Uh, which I'd seen in a lot of stuff, but like metal bands don't really do that as much. They're very kind of like, you know, go out there, play the songs, even if it's a like Slayer, you know, that famously like, never plays the same guitar solo twice. That, that I don't think they ever wrote down a note. You know, they're just like, yeah, just let's, just, let's just noodle on this bitch and see what happens. Uh, like, that's, hit the, that's bar. the death clock joke there with the, um, yeah. I don't read music. Do yeah. you? And he's just like, no, I just hit any note. It's the oldest <laughs> trick in the book. It's like, yeah, pretty much. And then uh, the other ones were like, uh, I saw a lot of country bands because this is in like South Alabama. So like Brad Paisley was one who again i'm sure not, they were up to they have some not a big fan of him his his commercial music yeah but he's like one of the greatest guitar players ever and he's like a very like jerry reed school like country bluegrass guitar player and yeah his live band was incredible like wow i've never i never even thought that you know country music could do this see i like the closest to country I guess I like spaghetti Western soundtracks to me. Oh, that's dude. the Any Americone? Oh. Any Americone. Like his music is just, uh, just so incredible. That's why I got that baritone is just to make spaghetti Western music. And, uh, 
I was going to do a whole, we actually had an, uh, an unreleased FPS and I did this whole spaghetti Western synth soundtrack to it. And, uh, it's one of the albums you can collect in, in burger farm is from the unreleased game. It's like, it's like these 12 minute big Western scores, but I love that genre. Do you There's know the bands doing that? Do you know the YouTuber Vince Steele? Oh, he will very likely be editing this video. Cause he's like, does a lot of the editing for in the keep, but He's amazing. He's like one of the best, like, you know, video essayists, I guess you'd call them. I know, which is why I reached out to him in the first place. I'm like, can I like pay you to do some editing for me, bro? But he, uh, he and I got into an argument, uh, you know, discussion, I should say, not really an argument. It's not like we're going to rip each other's hair out. Yeah. A friendly debate about country music recently because I, I mean, I grew up around country music. Like, that's this, like, outlaw stuff that's a lot cooler. And it's kind of, it's kind of in that it all kind of sounds spaghetti to me. Like the Johnny Cash, it sounds like a cowboy movie. That's the kind of country I'll yeah. do, not the pop stuff. Or Waylon the Jennings, country. to me, was like, the, the he's the G-O-A-T. Like him, Johnny Cash, uh, Willie Nelson. Yeah. I, well, I love that moment in Red Dead too. Yeah. Where, uh, what song is it that they play? When you're is John on the, again. On the road again? No, no, not on the road again. It was something else. Was it on the no? It wasn't on the road again. The cruel, cruel world. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. That part was so fantastic. I played it twice. The music and video games. There's always these moments that are like, and they can really elevate, like a scene. Games are like the most complete um, art medium collaboration right? of different art forms all into one thing. You know, you can mix film, animation, music, uh, you know, everything. Uh, all into one place and you, because it's in a virtual world you can very easily do things that aren't possible in the real world and i think that's what really makes it so special like uh you can Speaking only do so much that, with a film yeah it's not immersive in the same fashion like they're very individual experiences i wonder if the future of gaming might be some sort of mass like a movie theater type environment but for like a war game so like you all go into a theater and like have your own like chunk of screen that you're watching or something like that, or some sort of live type environment. It's already starting to happen. Um, with conventions and type stuff. One of my good friends, uh, I kill pigeons is, is what he goes by, but he does, um, live plays in VR and people like, like pay for a ticket, sit down, you know, with their VR headset on, like they're in a real theater. And then they watch these guys do these like really cool, plays like they did back to the future they did uh very demolition man <laughs> yeah but but then with the stage props they can go crazy like at the, the ending scene where like the delorean flies out it, it goes straight through the crowd you know well and, did like, you see how they make uh, mandalorian did you watch the behind the scenes i i, I just i can't I pay for the disney app I, I refuse the mandalorian yeah i don't blame you that actually i mean if we want to talk about inspiration for the game happy is totally like disney um the mandalorian how they make it though they have like this big like it's like they make it an unreal all the scenes and they can alter it live as the people are on the set so they i have just, like giant led screens right behind yes them. yes yeah. so it's like instead of green screens it's led screens like that must put the actor in the environment so much more that must be a, a very interesting challenge for the cameraman to you know light well it isn't because like with you with unreal they have all this and where we use unity 3d but unreal they have all these um 
um, the, the ability to just control everything. So no matter where you're getting it, you can just make the light go where it needs to. And it's very intuitive filmmaking. Like if we get a game studio, I hope someday I want to buy like a whole set like that and start doing short films in the site, the universe that'll supplement, uh, start releasing, you know, these like hard car- hardcover novels again that we used to do. And, like, oh, what's a blank page? <laughs> you can't see anything here. Caleb did the, all this artwork and I did all the writing and we had this other guy that would kind of give the synopsis and then I just kind of write a novel off it. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe someday we'll start bringing that back because there's a lot of stuff to unpack with Happy's Humble. So I'm sure people will be asking all kinds of questions about the war. Well, uh, back to music if you have anything more. Sorry, go off. No, you talk about whatever you want, man. I was actually just going to respond kind of to your with Happy's, like this is going to be kind of one of your first like more commercial products, right? Where you're going to have a lot more people, you have you know money behind it and everything. And I think stuff like that is going to be very important to people. You know, uh, even especially in the boomer shooter community, people love the the big box releases and stuff things. Um, to, I guess it's like a nostalgia thing because you know back in the '90s you'd get those like really cool big box things and I, I don't know why i don't really have a lot of interest personally in that like i just want to play the game but people really yeah. value that shit you know? i the- really like uh this wave of boomer shooters um or like someone like puppet combo or germ food like all these developers that are taking that aesthetic from my childhood which is like you know what we do and then like improving it like a game like ion fury just looks just so incredible it's like oh if they continued just to stay in these graphics this is what it would look like now and it's just it's just so cool it's like growing i mean we're i'm an interesting age group and you're pretty much right there with me in that when i was young the graphics were nintendo and then when i got now at 32 i'm making games and the graphics are they were unheard of when i was growing up so it's very interesting to grow up with an art medium and then 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 join into it i guess so you know like start making stuff in it I remember like kind of the moment when it, cause I never really thought about graphics. It was not like the most important thing and it still isn't to me, but I remember playing uh uncharted on my PlayStation. I love like, that series. I'm, two is one of the greatest ever uncharted two. So I, my grandparents living room, I'm like sitting in the floor, like in front of like the, the sideways couch with the PlayStation plugged up and I'm playing uncharted. And then at some point I realized like my granddad was watching this and he actually believed that he was watching a movie he didn't realize that i was playing a game you know? they're and engrossing it, they totally you know, his eyesight's not what it used to be i guess but like it's very like that i didn't realize how you must have not died for a while yeah you were crushing it you're on a good it's a, it's a pretty cinematic game in general oh, like you know it's, it's really got a good lot at of that. cut scenes and that, that kind the of second stuff. one just is i like all all well, I think how many did I play? Three or four? I don't even remember. I think remember I played one, two, and three. Was there a fourth? Yeah, there was. And that was the one that was the yeah, I, I played all four. I think two was my favorite. Um, the one that starts on the train that's hanging off the cliff. It's just mm-hmm. like all the set pieces were so crazy. It was like this awesome Indiana Jones, the mummy, Laura Croft, uh, Tomb Raider type mix. Yeah. Really good stuff. I but like hey, that's why I, I make games and why you interview devs, because you can just bring up a game like that and just be like, oh shit. Like that was the fucking coolest shit ever. 
it's it's interesting how like different people kind of draw inspiration from different places. So like I could talk to you and we could go on a whole tangent about Uncharted, but like there are some people, uh, you know, especially like the kind of boomer core, you know, old graphics. Like this is, you know, they're very. And I'm not say elite about it, but I mean like that's they're, they have a niche. I have no room for anything else, and I don't want to talk about you know. I don't play that stuff. I don't look at it. Uh, you never know. Like, we're very, um, like I was saying, the whole point of Scythe is to be able to take any subgenre of horror, or fantasy, sci-fi, action, and have fun with it and make it our own. Like, uh, there's the, the the big reveal that I alluded to um, is a whole new form of enemy in fiction. Like, it's never been done. What we're building up to is something. Well, I think there's shades of it in other. It's. It's like a new kind of zombie, a new kind of, you know, that sort of thing. Like how zombies, when George Romero brought them in, were new. We have yeah. our own version of that. We have our own thing that I've never heard used in anything else that's really cool. And uh, we're, we've been hinting at it from day one. So some people have kind of caught on to it. That might be an interesting uh, transitioning point to talk about. Because you said you wanted to talk about movies and stuff, too. and. The big inspiration point for us. Yeah. Romero, not John Romero, who is very important, I guess, to this audience, but George Romero. George Romero is what I was talking about. Yeah. But they're, yeah, yeah, both obviously legends in their own fields. So, like, there was lots of zombie stuff. There was like White Zombie, not the band, but the film uh, stuff before that. But the zombie mythos was fundamentally changed by George Romero. Yeah. It was voodoo. And then, like, post Romero, George uh, Romero, post George Romero. I feel like the only voodoo zombie movie that made an impact was Serpent and the Rainbow. I think that was a Wes Craven movie. And it was more about politics than it was about zombies. It was the guy trying to get... And that movie is fucking sick. That movie was so intense. I love when he gets off the plane. He's just like, I'm back. And they just immediately arrest him. He's like, oh, I was like, oh, I was that's a scary movie because it's like, that can happen. Like, if you're like traveling overseas and and even if someone happened to them here in America, like, that's being in a foreign place that you're not aware of where you are and you're trying to fuck with things you shouldn't be. That's terrifying. That's a great movie. Very interesting. I really resonate with that era, you know, of, of horror in general, especially uh, the 80s. pre well, I would say pre eighties, right? Or per, so, oh, like seventies, late seventies, uh, even, even some into the sixties black Christmas. I have no and, issue. I think the eighties horror movies are cool too, but there's a, there's a change in the industry that happens where, in the seventies, um, a lot of like real, like avant-garde directors were making horror movies, right? Like you, you have like Stanley Kubrick making horror movies. You have uh, the Rosemary's uh, Baby, the Rosemary's Exorcist, Baby, was Texas a great Chainsaw one. Massacre, Halloween. You're talking about that, yeah? Like, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. Those are like if you rewatch Halloween and just really pay attention. Like Michael Myers is hiding behind you and like every single fucking scene of the movie, he's somewhere like driving yeah. a truck or like, and I didn't notice that when I was a kid. The but Exorcist like, even. Yeah. I was another great example. Very intense, very intense movie. And then in the eighties, technology changed and suddenly, you know, like 79 or late seventies is when evil dead comes out. And this is like one of the first times when a super like low budget, movie was able to be produced yeah right and and so people realized and with the changing technology that it was possible to make a pretty damn good horror movie even if it's campy and shit with a really really low budget and it it changed from these uh these you know super duper big star directors to suddenly you just have a bunch of shit 
turning out and a lot of it's crap and a lot of it's fantastic. So then we end up with like Halloween inspires these slasher films films. And yeah, I love the slasher genre. Clearly, you know, that's yeah. what Northbury Grove trilogy was all about. Yeah. Friday the 13th essentially. And that kind of stuff. One, you know, like we are like, you know, we're into like maniac and, mm-hmm. uh, black Christmas, uh, just real obscure shit, the burning, like, uh, and then also like, you know, I think Hall, I, I'm very particular to Halloween cause I'm a John Carpenter fanatic and I think his soundtracks really elevate and I like Michael Myers. That was the first slasher I saw, but like I, I rewatched yeah. Texas chainsaw recently, the first one. And that's a fucking intense movie or Henry portrait of a serial killer. Like that's another fucking fantastic movie. Uh, Texas chainsaw massacre. Like people, Think of it as like it's just like super gory. Not at all. It's a, it's, it's a slow burn for like almost the entire movie, and that's really sets the stage. It's that juxtaposition yeah. that makes it work. It's one of the most beautifully filmed movies I think I've ever seen. Great cinematography. Like, yeah. You pay attention to like the camera work. You're like, wow, this is amazing. Um, oh, the Hitcher from oh, the yeah. '80s, very underrated. A uh, duel. I like Maximum Overdrive. I think that. If we were to ever get like some licensing deal to make some big franchise, I'd love to do a a maximum overdrive game. That'd be very fun. Uh, I think I wanted. It's funny because we brought up ACDC. I would want. I always wanted to get a copy of that movie without their music, so I could redo it as a horror synth soundtrack and see how different the movie would feel. Yeah, that'd be really interesting to like this movie as scored by and then just change the soundtrack and see if you could, cause I bet you could fundamentally change the story. Oh, definitely. Uh, there, was a, with the music. there was a George A. Romero movie uh, called survival of the dead. And the mm-hmm. soundtrack was very Danny Elfman, Tim Burtony, like, like it felt like a Tim Burton movie and it turned it into a comedy. And like a lot of people didn't like that movie. I'm like, it shot pretty good. Um, I think a, a darker soundtrack would elevate it a lot and do a, good because like i mean john harrison did day of the dead and his music was incredible for day of the dead 85 or whatever and then um dawn of the dead obviously had goblin do a lot of the score and that was sick just that heartbeat bump 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 and just all the crazy moogs uh i think that's why i like the 80s horror so much because the music perhaps was peaking i know how you're saying like it used to be it got a little schlocky it got cheesier for sure but the soundtracks yeah. were really peaking in terms it, of like cool it's not that i don't shit. like cheesy slasher movies or anything i know it's what you're just, saying like yeah i agree with you like the more grindhousey horror has a it has more impact yeah at least but i like cheese too you know <laughs> it's i scythe is very cheesy i think there's two forms of art there's like corny and there's cheesy and the, the best way for me to describe it is like grunge rock is kind of corny and 80s metal is kind of cheesy and like they're both valid and sometimes people like both sometimes people only like one but they're yeah. both they're both great oh, you can mix the two you know you can have a little cheese on your corn if that's what you're into i don't think that would taste very good but i'm sure it's out there it's probably deep fried yeah, if it's yeah. you know somewhere in America at least somewhere in Nebraska, <laughs> but it's such a huge thing that's in, influenced a lot of the music because as as you said the music really peaked with with those slasher films in a lot of ways and just even the you know disaster piece he did uh, it follows soundtrack 
I've yeah, I've heard that name. Before. Rich Freeland. There's also a song by Slipknot called Disaster Piece, which is that's that's what I'm that's something. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I was just like he, I was trying to place that. He's amazing. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan. I've of heard that soundtrack's really good. I haven't seen it falls yet, but I listened to some clips and it was sick. You know, I, we were in the synthwave scene, so we we yeah. were we saw Kung Fury blow up. Um, I did the soundtrack to Lieutenant Jangles, this awesome Australian comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the whole thing. I've, I've heard that one, by the way. I've listened to everything that I'm aware of you publishing. Like, oh, nice. Thank you. I like I, I put your shit on like Spotify at work and just terrorize people. <laughs> what are you listening to? I was like, I don't know, but this guy's awesome. <laughs> like, well, people like it. Yeah. People generally like, like, cause I'm like the weird music guy, like in the office that I work in, like I'm the only one who just like listens to like weird off the wall shit. See all I'll my shit's instrumental. So yeah. it is weird. I mean, it's, I'm trying out different genres as you probably noticed, like dubstep side trance. I don't stick to one thing. I, I try to be unique in that fashion, but it is cool that I've never had singing until I got the Pokemon singer jason Mm -hmm. page like that's the first song i've ever had vocals done like 400 plus songs and i got him we got him for and i just wanted to say how like i did a conference with him and we talked and i was like yeah what i'm going for is like this is like one of the biggest things in the world which you know ironically he sang for the biggest thing in the world because pokemon is the biggest thing it's bigger than anything else which i didn't original pokemon theme song like that's I, I, I can walk iconic. downstairs right now and start singing it. And my wife is going to jump up out of the couch and start like duetting it with me. I I've promise. covered like, that at a concert before, you know, yeah. and like he hit us up, he hit us back right away. And I, after the conversation, he's like, well, what are you looking for? I'm like talking about like, I like eighties deep purple with Joe Lynn Turner. He's like, I know Joe, he's a friend of mine or something. Like it was just crazy. We were just talking about all this shit. And I'm just like, I really like Matt at bat out of hell. The, you know, meatloaf. He's like, I was on bat out of hell three. Like I was one of the backing singers. What? Like, that's yeah, so I'm like, so basically, and then I told him this. I'm like, I kind of want like a Slaves and Masters era Deep Purple is how I'm going to go with, at it with the music. Uh, I wanted to have Meatloaf, Jim Steinman esque backing vocals, which he did. He already provided the actual official thing for Bad Out L3, which Desmond Child produced. So that's another seminal. And then obviously, like, you know, the best theme song ever, your, your, your song. Just do that. And then, like, I made a song that day and sent it to him. And I was like, nice. He's going to be like, wow, you started that from scratch. But then he sent vocals like I, the next day himself. And they were like pretty polished. Like we both finished that song in like two days and then polished it for like a month. But there was like, there's a version that's really early that we each worked one session on. And it sounds pretty legit. That early version, that uh, uncut draft that really before the backing vocals and all that sounds like a legit song already. But yeah, he crushed it. He wrote all the lyrics. He sang. I gave him complete creative control. I told him the story and he just took it and made it perfect, you know, and it was really cool to have him on board, but he's a great singer, you know, it's really cool to have him. That's amazing. How old is he now? I have no idea, but he's been on everything. Like, um, my whole purpose with that though, is I want people to play this game and think that it actually is about something like i want them to be like oh i want to go watch the happy humble heifer anime or get the comic book like it actually exists yet we made it all for the game so i mean i guess something similar and this happens to us often and me this happened to my me my whole life you hear about stuff that is similar to you after you've made it and then like you go look at it you're like oh sick like i never heard of bendy and the ink machine until we were making this the the first happy symbol and then people are comparing it to FNAF and 
Dark Deception and all these games with killer mascots. Whereas I was thinking of Chuck E. Cheese and McDonald's Grimace. Like we were thinking of our childhood. And then I went and looked at all those games and they're cool. And I looked at Bendy and like, oh, I could totally see how people could compare the two. Like it, I like those the, after looking at them all. It, I'm totally fine being in the camp with them. They're all cool. They have a similar vibe, you know, a similar vision of satirizing Disney or Looney Tunes or, you know, whatever. But yeah, I like that aspect. You know, uh, it gives a lot to the war. Yeah, I never really thought about the uh, the mascots of McDonald's playing into this. But yeah, I remember watching. Like, do you remember those uh, McDonald's cartoons? Yeah, yeah. They were like, exactly. you know, they go to Grimace Island or like a haunted house, and and it's creepy. Uh, the, especially yeah. the old seventies live action like costumed guys. Oh, and it yeah. Was, there's like pirates and characters that aren't that didn't carry over into the '90s cartoons, but that and Chuck E. Cheese. Like I used to go to Chuck E. Cheese as a kid, so that was another inspiration point. Just that weird, creepy animatronic band. So there, there's a really you should probably watch this one. It's a horror movie about the banana splits. I heard about Nicolas Cage, right? I don't think Nicolas Cage is in it. No, that's the other one that they did. They he just did one that was about mascots, and I know what you're talking about. The right. banana splits is like a slasher movie with the with the mascots, right? Yeah, it's like about this this kid and his you know for his birthday, his family takes him to go see the banana splits like TV recording, but then they like you know okay, well a few people are going to want to pass to stay after the show, but then it turns out all the robots are like you know programmed murdering machines or whatever. That's so it's a fun new, right? little stupid slasher movie. Yeah, it was a few years ago, something like that. I'll have to check um, that out. Yeah, there's a lot of like it's, it's a weird thing. Like those are one of those um, really oddly creative little subgenres that have come out of somebody having this shared experience of like you know those are supposed to be cool and fun for kids, but they're actually fucking creepy and terrifying and weird and and it's not just mascots too because I think we're closer to games like like there's a whole little subgenre about just working a weird shift like you're saying. Yeah, it's not necessarily just mascots like that night shift game that Puppet Combo did, and then like Night of the Consumers from Germ Food. There's some other burger game called Meat on HIO, and he had a really cool art style, kind of looked like the gorillas. I think What's he that draws it. Overcooked, uh, the Nintendo game. You know what I'm it's, talking about? No, but I I know there's a lot of I, cooking isn't really my genre. That's why I'm the guy. It's like, all right, it should be a conspiracy game about simulations yeah. and <laughs> working all this weird shit into it. So. But, you know, now that they designed it, like the way they designed the gameplay, it's actually very fun to cook, in my opinion, like to act like a ninja. Go, and you actually can pick up four things in the full version now. So you can just throw everything yeah. on the sandwich. At that once. was a huge pain in the ass when I first played the the demo. It was like I can only I have to run back and forth with like cheese. OK, lettuce. This is retarded, but it's because the game is it's a stress. It's like stress that, and that's what I assumed was that kind of the idea of it was that it's supposed to be unrealistically stressful, but you got to balance that stress in a way that's fun. And, um, that's what we did. That's how we updated the game for the full version. It's the scares playing to the gameplay. Um, and these are notes from like our producer, uh, Ryan from tiny build and Alex himself, the CEO, like they're a very helpful company. Uh, they, gave us really good insight on how to improve without hampering our creative uh, energy at all. And uh, 
you know, it was smart to release that alpha. It's like a whole game on its own. I don't even consider them the same. Like the alpha is a game, a free game on its own. It's a self-contained story. And the full game is just the next upgrade. Right. So it's the trilogy, like I was saying earlier. Um, but I think like you're saying, it's really stressful to run and grab cheese, run and grab this, uh, to be able to grab four things. It makes it more stressful in a realistic way. Cause that wasn't realistic. You know, you wouldn't be able to grab a bunch of stuff. So now that you can grab four, yeah, I think you'll like the update. It, it's, it'll be a more realistic, stressful for you. Yeah, Maybe I think tomorrow is kind of like my scheduled. I'm giving myself a day off and I'll just sit down and play all the fucking demos that I've been meaning to play. How <laughs> many do you get? Dude, don't even, don't even like it's, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> too many some of them are self-imposed or some of them are like oh that looks really interesting i'm gonna play that and then uh it doesn't work out but so what's the deal with the live event with uh realms deep is there like a deal with it is there a live uh component as well like a convention type thing like or was there but pre-covid um so last year 2020 was the first time that had ever been done um so it was kind of a learning experience for everybody involved fred had this kind of vision about it um essentially it's just like a you know scheduled event where we're taking all of the different trailers like premieres from 3d realms and new blood or whatever you know all the companies that are kind of under this umbrella or running with scissors did some stuff last year where i you know i actually went to Mike J's office and killed him was like a whole thing. Uh, nice. It was like a little vignette video that was the premiere of the uh, postal brain damage trailer. That's cool. So it's kind of like uh, a bit of an award show vibe or like, um, you know how they do funny skits or like, like an yeah. E3 type thing that's just done digitally. And then there's like, you know, contests going on in the chat. And then every, you know, every so often it'll pan back to the studio where it's like, you know, Fred and Alex and all the 3d realms people are, you know, like, Hey, you know what's going on? We're just all drinking this monster energy. Haha, ha, we're sponsored by Monster Boomer Juice. Okay. And here's uh n- the next thing is going to be Ty's interview with uh with John Romero. Here we go. I didn't I didn't actually I was supposed to interview John Romero, but I uh, I was asleep when he oh. had time. And so Jahar from Tasty Spleen did it in my absence. Which you got stuck fine. with John at the shred. You know. <laughs> uh no, I mean if I were to pick anybody ever to like do my podcast without me. Jahar is my guy. Like he's my hero. Love him. Please do. And he probably knows more about, you know, nineties doom shit than I do even. So fine. But, uh, yeah, so this year is going to be, I mean, people hearing this podcast will have just seen the, the event. So yeah, we're doing this. Like it's fun. They'll probably want to know some behind the scenes shit, but this year, Last year was like two days of streaming. I think this year we're going to do one big day of like the stream with, you know, probably with, with us hosting it. And then we'll have a separate day called like, where we're going to kind of like slowly reveal all this stuff. But the vault will be like how people find this interview most likely where it's like, okay, you saw the show. And then here's a bunch of related content about a lot of the games that you just saw. So, you know, you saw That's trailers cool, yesterday. Yeah. Today will be, you know, long form interviews with the people who made these games. It will be uh, things that were like, like behind the scenes games. I think a few people are planning on doing like, um, I don't know, like a gore panel, like just different games in this, sh- in that were shown off that like how they do their different gore systems. That's, we're going to do like sick. 
behind the music of Call of Seragnar. Like, yeah, that kind of shit. Like, that's the plan. Hit me up. I can give you a little behind the scenes footage of a, of a DAW capture or something. I already did. <laughs> I'll send you uh no, I'm saying after I'll send you like yeah. footage from inside, um, like the software. So you can like splice it in or something. I'll, uh, right where I'll, we're saying this, you could splice it over. <laughs> I don't, I don't think these, uh, these long form podcasts are going to be like super overproduced like that. But, okay. No reason. Yeah. But I would, I would love to, if you just shoot a video, like, behind the scenes of how you make your music or whatever, you're more than welcome to submit it. Yeah. We'll if you need it. anything like that, just hit me up, you know, yeah, making jingles and all that. You, and we've touched on this a little bit, but you work across so many different genres, especially in this game, right? With, with happies, you've, you've done oh, yeah, several definitely. different albums where you're doing very different styles of music. Um, and you're not necessarily like always going to be a fan of every single one of these different styles of music, but th- I actually just, am. I think really every, are? Yeah, yeah. I think every music uh, genre is, has good in it. Um, like even the genres I don't really care too much for, like a mumble rap, which I don't really care for. I can find value in the beats, and I can yeah. also respect the rappers because uh, it's actually hard to do. I just don't like how it sounds. It's it sounds yeah. too much like tattletaling to me. That's how it sounds to me, but the actual skill it takes to constantly rap in triplets is actually pretty intense and the beats are sick. Um, here's what I think. I think every music genre has really cool shit that people just don't hear. Cause all they hear is the mainstream. So yeah. It's like, you never dig deep. You're not going to like country. If you don't find the country you enjoy, you're not going to like metal. If you don't like screaming and never find the metal, that's operatic vocals. You know what I mean? It's all about just uh, research, I guess. But, um, so I actually enjoy uh, working on all these different genres um, quite a bit. It's uh, it's challenging, you know. You're kind of like making music in a style you've only listened to. Uh, like by the time you finish an album, you've made more music than you've heard from the genre. It's like an hour of stuff and you've listened to 20 minutes of it. I don't know. I'm imagining though, like that it's kind of like creating challenges for yourself, like see how, you know, what you can accomplish. I remember like just kind of watching you on Twitter and you would kind of, you would kind of reach out to the community and be like, Hey, I'm looking to do like some more like eighties hair metal kind of stuff. Can y'all send some inspiration my way? And, and the stuff that's in the game, like is other than the fact that I know it's used, like kind of indistinguishable from like true, you know, poison rat, uh, warrant, these kinds of bands that were amazing. If you were to like, I don't know how many of the albums you collected, would you know that was all one guy or would you think it's different bands? I mean, it's kind of hard for me to give an honest opinion because I didn't, I knew the whole time it was you. Yeah. And I knew yeah. what you were capable of. Cause I've listened to all your shit, but um, just, if I'm just talking about how I feel about it, I, I would totally believe it if you were like, yeah, we hired a bunch of different people, you know, people who specialize in different genres and, and put it together. But even then there's like a little bit of your flavor on it. And, and that's all tied together by the theme of the game too, is like it, your, your eighties hair metal stuff and your like, you know, more uh, hip hop kind of sound stuff still feel like John of the shred. If that makes any sense. You know? Yeah, totally. I, my favorite bands do that. Like we were talking about Zappa and like a deep purple and like they always tried different genres. And I think that was more of a thing back in like the seventies 
Yeah. Um, or like even like a John Carpenter, he's changing genres of film and the music he's making for it. And it's always pretty badass. Uh, I guess not musically as different as these other people we're talking about, but like, like a Zappa, he's doing doo-wop and then he's parodying the Beatles and it's just yeah. like, it's so wildly different, but you can tell it's him. So I never, like when people say bands sell out, I never was on board with that unless, um, it seemed insincere. Like I didn't think Metallica sold out with the back black album load and reload or even St. Anger, even though I didn't like St. Anger. I don't see how they I, sold out. Me they, neither. They're just exploring yeah. new sounds. You can't just retread the same ground every time. What's wrong with the band exploring new terrain? Uh, like Iron Maiden, they, they got more proggy and I'm all for it. They're, they're getting older, uh, deep purple. They cover every genre. They went funk yeah. in the seventies before they were even well known for, for hard rock. So like all these bands that, constantly challenge themselves. I think it aids in longevity. You don't want to keep making the same thing over and over. A lot of the bands that are kind of considered by most people to be like these sellout radio rock bands, right? Like, so uh, three days of grace is probably about the biggest example I can think of, or like Nickelback, that kind of stuff. I can't really say anything nice about three days grace. Actually. I, I don't like know up. anything about those bands, so I can't comment like, like a Nickelback. Like I, yeah, to me, I don't get why Nickelback gets as much flack as they do. It, to me, it just sounds like grunge, but in a really expensive studio. Like, I, it doesn't sound too far off from '90s rock. To me. Genuinely, really enjoy a lot of their music. Like you know, like when I, I hear like I don't know, like a puddle anything of mud bef- and a, yeah, all those bands. To me, they they're, they're just post grunge type, and I don't really have any problem with that. They just um. They got really popular, and obviously, then they, they're like, "Okay, well, we got to pay the bills, so let's put out like you know, Rockstar was like the big Nickelback song that blew them into the stratosphere beyond just being on the radio and stuff." And then that's the point where you know, okay, I can see that they're paying those bills, but then by all accounts, and I've never seen them live, but everybody that I know who has says like, when you see them live, they're doing like metal covers and shit, like they're doing what they want to be doing, and they're oh, cool. paying, paying the money, you know, putting putting their kids in college with this commercial music. When I was, Oh, sorry. I'm not a judge. No, no go uh, I was playing when I was playing hippie festivals, we were in a battle of the bands and there was this band that like had this whole thing where they were saying like, we're, sp- we're spiritually transcending music. When you come to us, we're an experience. And I just found it so pretentious, especially because they sold acid to their fan base. So like, That's if you're selling dead, did. <laughs> yeah, Literally. but they, they, the grateful dead weren't, that pretentious about it they they were you. just having fun like this band was acting like this wasn't a staple in the jam scene i don't know it's just the, their language on their website was ridiculous it's like we're transcending music and I'm, it's just like well for a 12 year old girl britney spears does that and you can't dismiss the fact that her music uh for for some demographics does the same thing um i fucking love britney spears dude <laughs> there's I, just, I, I don't know there's just no humility to it you know hit me baby like that. one more time like i play that shit all the time i love that song well, the children to Bodum cover. Oh, that's cool too. Yeah. 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 I but like I don't know. It's just, it's an art form. Like, uh, not everyone's going to like the same shit. And, uh, I don't know. You should be able to appreciate, like, I, I'm not, if I don't like a video game, I can still understand how much work up went into it. If yeah. I, if it's a genre, I don't like, I'm not going to be like, this shouldn't exist. No one else should enjoy this because <laughs> I don't like, it's just such a weird mindset. It's a pretty common, like tribalistic teenager. I mean, I remember you're talking about children of Bono a couple of minutes ago. I remember, you know, getting into real heated arguments with people about like children of Bodom. And this is me talking like children of Bodom sucks. 
why do they have keyboards in a death metal band? That's that's not. That's you not were saying metal, that bro. you were cold at one point. You know, and, and and I'm like, so was I. I was saying that about Slipknot. Remember, I'm like Megadeth. Like that's that was kind of my shit. You know, this really super technical guitar oriented yeah, thrash metal. So, yeah, uh, his rips. Oh, dude, him and uh, who's the uh, David? I, I never got into um, Megadeth, but what I've heard is sick. I like uh, Exodus. And, yeah, uh, Exodus is cool. Exodus Marty Friedman. Probably, is who I was oh yeah, of. Friedman is sick too. Yeah. yeah, I think for thrash, my favorites are like like Exodus, Creator from Germany, or just like oh yeah, it's like Enemy sick, of God. Like, that that shit is heavy. Man. Just that like cinematic thrash metal. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Who else? Overkill. Nuclear assault metal so cool. So much sick metal. Jungle Actually, this, <laughs> I should show this off from Kyla Custom Rockware. Move, move the dreads out of the way. There we go. Happy's humble burger bar. <laughs> it's fucking dope, man. She uh she makes good stuff. She like makes vests for like Chris Jericho and like Alice Cooper and like all these giant bands and stuff. So it's cool. I just saw it online. I'm like, I want something custom. For when I stream and like hopefully start a band again yeah. when all this crap is over. I don't know if you, uh, you're like be allowed to tour. Representative of like freedom, essentially. Like you look like the, the the free rock and roll guy who never you know quote never grew up or whatever. But you're just doing life your way, which is it took a lot of. Uh... Here's the thing with artistic uh, jobs. I feel like a lot of people think. Like I was saying with the streamers, everyone's just like, oh, yeah, they just play video games. Like, no, it took forever to build that brand with like something like music, especially. I think music is the hardest thing to get paid to do. It's like everyone just takes it for granted, but their life would suck so much if it was gone. They'd they'd be like, ah, everything would be bland. Like take music out of like a scene from like most movies and it'd just be so odd. Like there's movies like No Country for Old Men or like The Birds that had no music and it was done very well. But I don't think a soundtrack would have ruined those movies. Um, I would like to see them with soundtracks, even. Like, you know, to think of one of those moments that had music in your life, like where you remember that moment, moment because you remember the song that was playing, and then just remove that song from the equation. Uh, be wildly different. Yeah, especially as someone that done has done soundtracks for many games, had music yeah. license, toured in a band. Uh, music has kind of been my whole. But yeah, my my whole point with that was like people underestimate how, like if it's fun to do, it's not work or something. You know, sometimes yeah. a lot of people have that mindset. Like if you enjoy what you're doing, or even just enjoy the end result of it, if it's an enjoyable thing that results from it, all of a sudden it's not work. It's and it's a similar mindset to something like cannabis, like where like the psychoactive element of cannabis, where people get high and can relax for some reason it, it, uh, it offends people to a point where they deny if there are actual med- medicinal benefits, which I think there are, you know, we have an endocannabinoid system in our bodies, like made to just benefit. I mean, it obviously can be abused too. I'm not saying it cures all, but uh, there's just some people that are adverse to stuff like that. Like, uh, like it's not work if it's fun. I don't agree with that though. We were talking about Animal Farm earlier, and I think that that kind of behavior is very much like chickens self-enforcing their own uh, cap captivity, right? Like, so if one chicken gets gets smart and tries to like escape the farm, the other chickens gang up on them and they're like, "Hey, what are you fucking stupid? The farmer feeds us." Like, really? And and then people grow attached to that, like in in society in general, especially in the workforce. 
you know, there's this very strong culture. I used to work in construction. It was like this all the time, you know, like don't bite the hand that feeds you, you know, that kind of shit. Like OSHA certification is like intense. You're like, it's like a horror movie. You're watching all this gore footage and it's just like, there are more deaths in construction in every year than the military. You're like, really? I didn't know that. Definitely. There's more people in construction than there are in the American military period. And there's construction workers in the military too, if you count that, but it's double intense. Yeah. And then there's all this, there's just this tendency for people to try to justify their own situation. Um, That's how most people are miserable. Most people fucking hate their jobs. They're most, they're, I think people are self-centered and selfish. I don't think everyone's evil. Like there's this, there's a whole anti-human sentiment throughout culture and society right now. And I'm very much against it. I think we like, all right, for example, this whole thing where like, all these corporations talking down to people like me or you, these regular people like you need to stop eating meat because you're ruining the environment. It's like you took a, a fucking yacht to give that speech like that. The, the, the waste that you emitted on your, on your commute to your speech, you're talking down to me from uh, accounts for more waste than I do in like years. And like <laughs> this whole thing, like the carbon footprint of one person, it's like, dude, the carbon footprint of one person of my entire bloodline is less than one hour of corporate dumpage in an ocean. So like, don't tell me I need to completely start eating like bug paste and like sink or sink synthesized human shit to like save the environment that you're ruining. Like I'm so sick of that mindset. It's like all the blame is being passed from like the elite to the people. And yep. that's kind of the whole, <laughs> I, that's how political I get in the game. I'm very human humanitarian. I like people. I don't like corporations blaming us for their bullshit you know yeah that's a big kind of thing i'm touching on with like the obscura company you know and like their motivations in the game are not the best uh motivations that's the most interesting thing about the game i I think i kind of touched on this early 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 in this uh discussion but the game really sheds a lot of commentary i should say on that aspect of society like this this corporation is in fact like hiding things and exploiting you the worker and making you i don't know feel like if you step out of line something bad will happen to you or whatever turd in the punch bowl and i'm just i can't understand the mindset of someone who like like my grandpa right and we get along fine he's super supportive of everything but you know he spent 40 years of his life probably more than that working for shell chemical at a chemical plant doing shift work every day you know i think and back then it actually benefited you though you could like afford a house and to feed your family and all that and our generation doesn't have that we have to make ourselves we yeah. need to brand ourselves like you're doing with the podcast and i'm doing with our video games it's us we own it we're well, the yeah. generation that that needs to happen because of how much wages stagnated like everyone's just like the cost of living will shoot up with minimum wage. It's like it did that without minimum wage being raised. They're just fleecing us more and more each <laughs> as much as they can. You know, it's just it's just a downward spiral. But at the same time, uh, the, the the conditions we live in were are so much better than even just a hundred years ago. So it's a trade off. Like as society gets better, we kind of narrow our focus, and um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But sometimes I think. Uh, people can get a little too in, too religious with it, I guess. I mean, obviously, there are certain hard jobs that just kind of like for, and I should say for society to function, like, you know, the trash being taken out of big cities. Yeah, and, and everyone will 
will shit on them people. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, the trash man. Like, what do you mean that that job is so noble? They're coming and picking up your shit uh, and you're going to make fun of them for that? They get paid better than yeah. you, I'm sure, and they deserve that wage. I would argue that it's unnecessary, right? Like, And we're starting to see this po- kind of post-COVID as people just moved right the fuck out of cities because the c- cities are dependent on the infrastructure, right? Like you, if you don't have trash collection, sewage, uh, all these different essential services functioning, agriculture, shipping food in, all this stuff, a city cannot function. People will just fucking die. They don't know yeah. how to take care of themselves. They're it's like, like almost being under siege almost. It's like being a chicken on a farm. Like if the farmer just stops feeding you, what are you going to do? If they take the fence down and let the coyotes in, what are you going to do? Mm. You're fucked. You don't know how to take care of yourself. Uh, people who live in rural places, and I, I'm saying this as somebody who lives currently in a city, right? Like, so this is not me preaching. I'm just making an observation about the way we structure things. Uh, but it, it, you take somebody like, like again, my grandpa. Like, if if just the economy shuts down and electricity goes off and everything, he knows how to grow his own food. He knows how to like reach out to someone and be like, Hey man, can I borrow your tractor? Yeah, man, you've been taking care of me for years. Let's do that. And like things just go on. People know how to survive. And I think that's a Hank Williams song. <laughs> I'm not confident of, of the apocalypse. Um, <laughs> I use every, I, t- I use technology for everything. I, yeah. If the, if the world shut down, I'd be very annoyed that I couldn't continue making new music. That'd be probably my biggest pet peeve. Big ah, fuck. I can't record music anymore. I had this discussion with, I can't remember who it was, but I was talking about how like a pre-recording technology music was sacred. Like now we oh, just take it all for granted, as you said. It happened yeah. and you were there or you weren't. You you can. Even when recording fidelity was shitty, it was still kind of like that. Like you weren't, yeah. you couldn't really hear the orchestra. You weren't there. You're hearing the whole shitty version of it. Well, you just go on the internet right now and type in a song and hear it right now. No problem. Like watching a movie on a on a cell phone, it's not mm-hmm. the same. I, but if you I mean, go back to like the 1400s, and you, the only chance you're going to hear any music is if someone's singing or whistling or carrying an instrument with you, or if you walk into it like a bar, and there's a, a bard who's playing a lute and singing songs, and people valued that so much. That was like one of everyone the noble was more musical too. Yeah, because uh, there used to be like people would sing together in bars and stuff to be like jigs irish jigs and stuff yeah my last name's riley snowbury it was like a group activity it was ritualistic too i mean that's part of it every ceremony involved community music it's the universal language yeah i'm I'm not trying to be like dystopian or like anti-progression in any way i'm sure we'll figure it out again somehow how to make this new system work for us maybe or not or the apocalypse will happen but yeah like music is extremely, extremely valuable and it does frustrate me. Art in general is valuable and it does frustrate me that it's so easily accessible that people don't look at it and take it um, take it in as much as they maybe used to. My advice to anyone that's getting into art forms like music is um, if you're going to do something for free, make sure you're doing it as a barter. Mm-hmm. And it's not like everyone that has like, oh, don't do anything for free. Well, don't get ripped off. It's more like it. Like if, if someone can help start a team, that's what I did. We weren't paying each other. We were all making games for free and releasing them. And then when we made money, we split it as we, uh, we all work just as hard as the next guy. So 
you know, you got to find people you can really work with long-term that have the same work ethic and same morals, but also different tastes so that you can make something new when you meet in the middle of what you all like. Cause we all play games very differently. Like I think Blake is a guy that tries to break games. I'm a guy that likes to take the story in and uh, I'm not sure what Caleb does. I think he probably thinks about how to make it when he plays it. And uh, yeah, it's like kind of the same thing with the band. If you have different instrumentalists from different backgrounds, like a jazz funk bassist and uh, a metal drummer, that alone is going to get you a whole different sound than most other bands. So long as you, you know, respect each other's influence and meet in the middle of it. Yeah. That, I think that's probably a good place to leave it off. That's like kind of the overall arcing message kind of, especially for sight. You guys are, you guys are kicking ass and it's beautiful to see that you're all pursuing your passion together. Like in, and really finally now really starting to see the, hopefully the fruits of that, that effort, you know, um, likewise to yeah. you with the podcasts and, you know, helping put on this sick event. that has got all these awesome game developers, you know, good luck to everyone watching this and all the people making video games or wanting to just keep fucking, uh, trucking space trucking.